It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. There is big news, but I've got a big panel to talk about it. Uh, joining us from Semaphore.com, Reed Albergati, Lisa Schmeiser from NoJitter.com, Glenn Fleischman from Glenn.Fun. We'll be talking about the Silicon Valley Bank collapse. And I think there's good news uh, coming. We'll have that for you. We'll also get an inside look at the end of the show. Jason Calacanis is going to drop by. He could be on the full panel, but he's going to give us what it looked like from the inside last week. We'll also talk about a Canadian law that may kick Meta out and why AM radio is no longer going to be in the Ford Mustang. It's all coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech, episode 918, recorded Sunday, March 12th, 2023. Rational minds have prevailed. This Week in Tech is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. One of the biggest 2023 hiring challenges is standing out to top talent, break through the clutter, and attract the most qualified candidates for your team with ZipRecruiter's matching technology. Try it free at ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. And by Bitwarden. Get the password manager that offers a robust and cost-effective solution that drastically increases your chances of staying safe online. Get started with a free trial of a Teams or Enterprise plan or get started for free across all devices as an individual user at bitwarden.com slash twit. And by Collide. Collide is a device trust solution that ensures that if a device isn't secure, it can't access your apps. It's zero trust for Okta. Visit collide.com slash twit and book a demo today. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show we cover the Silicon Valley bank collapse. And maybe we'll do some other news, too. Uh, we have a very good panel for this. I'm thrilled to have uh, Glenn Fleischman, our good friend, all the way up from in Seattle. And very successful Kickstarter operator. We'll talk about that in a bit. The book Shift Happens has done its its run and is uh, is going. Is going, man. Hi, Glenn. Hello. Good How are you to doing? see you. Leo? Great. Doing great. Thanks for joining us. Your good friend, Pleasure. Lisa Schmeiser, sitting to my left. Hi. Well, <laughs> How do you guys know each other? We've podcasted before together on The Incomparable. Oh, The Incomparable. And our circles have overlapped at Macworld and a few uh, other publications. It's six degrees of Jason a, Snell everywhere I go. Yeah. I have, a, I have a great story. I can save it, but I have a great story about knowing Oh, you Lisa should totally tell the story. It's a really good one. Save it. Save it. So, save it. I'll save it save later it. in the show. Save it. Well, save how, it. How, how save you it. Her husband? Lisa is at nojitter.com. New, new for you. What is No Jitter? So No Jitter, we own the communications technology stack all the way down from POTS, POTS, plain old telephony services, up to collaboration and communication applications, which include the workspaces we're all used to, like Teams and Slack and Zoom, but it also branches out into customer service, customer experience, and call centers. So I cover everything. You cover a lot. Yeah. We do. Um, Well, the name No Jitter goes back to um, the old school days of telephony when the biggest concern you had was about sound quality on your networks and whether or not you'd have jitter in your audio. We still care. Zoom. Yeah. 
Zoom, uh, we, we can see what the jitter is. Yeah. We try to keep and, the jitter down. And I'm thrilled to report I've got a contributor who's, who just turned in a piece I'll be editing talking about the emerging issue of sound quality across collaborative platforms because Ooh. you have a lot of folks who are using internet telephony uh-huh. and don't realize it doesn't have to sound like you're talking from the bottom of a fishbowl. So I think we yeah. sound pretty good. We're using yeah. Zoom, but we use a special version of Zoom that uh, Andy Carluccio created. Zoom mm-hmm. then acquired his company called Zoom ISO. Mm-hmm. That we're all in one call, but we're all uh, ISO'd. And mm-hmm. it really, I think it works really well for us. Latency is very low. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to welcome Reed Albergati for the first time to this show. He's been on Twit many times, of course. Now at Semaphore, technology editor at uh, Semaphore. Hi, Reed. Hi, how you doing? Great to Very be well. I love Semaphore. I've been reading it religiously. It was a, such a big mystery for like almost a whole year what these guys were going to do. And uh, turns out they did something pretty darn good. I really, really. I'm glad really you like it. it. Yeah, and I'm glad I you're mean, there. We're having a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. We it's... know Reed from, uh, of course, the Wall Street Journal and the Information. Uh, now he works for the Smiths. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, right. And uh, <laughs> that's right. and you're and the reason you're on it was kind of a last minute booking, and I appreciate your uh, doing that for us is because of the Silicon Valley uh, bank collapse. I wanted to get somebody. You've been covering it for a semaphore. So uh, yeah, actually, been, I guess you been... probably all have an opinion in this. Yeah. All right. We'll get to it. I di- I will say <laughs> I was vetoed, but I tried to get Jason Calacanis on. And I was vetoed. Uh, Kevin Rose, unfortunately, is in an airplane. I thought he'd be good. I want to get somebody with a venture capital background. Uh, and also uh, O'Malley, who was not only got a venture capital background, but as a man of the people, wrote a very good uh, piece on his blog, ohm.co. Um, in fact, let me just kick it off with a little bit of what ohm. Uh, wrote because I think he um, he is is probably uh, he's a very thoughtful guy with with a foot in every bit of the, of, of camp for this um, and uh, actually he's got a new a new post so I want to go back to his uh, oh yeah there's been some news out just a couple hours ago he's writing a lot the, yeah because Janet Yellen was on the said. Sunday shows mm-hmm. yeah so which saying yeah. by the way nothing his piece that I was thinking of is from yesterday it's called a tough weekend mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh he, you could not have picked a more beautiful header image by the way yeah that's amazing yeah except for the salesforce tower it's really gorgeous oh. that's san francisco <laughs> that's san francisco oh my are, are wow. we gonna bag on that this week yeah is that, is that part of it We're yeah go i think i blame the whole svb thing on salesforce tower oh, to be okay. honest sure. <laughs> after three, he writes. Ohm writes. After three decades of being part of the Silicon Valley ecosystem as a reporter, writer, entrepreneur, and investor, I thought I'd seen it all: the boom-bust cycles, stock market manias, startup insanity, attack on America itself, and the most significant financial calamity in nearly a century. He's probably talking about two thousand eight, I would guess. Living through history prepares you for every eventuality. Your own struggle with mortality. This is what I love about Ohm as he's mm-hmm. as he's aged a little bit. He's, you know, th- thinking about things like that. Your own struggle with mortality prepares you for the unpredictability of everything. You embrace the impermanence and become one with it. And yet, despite all that, you experience what Silicon Valley has experienced this weekend. A sense of helplessness, a feeling of dread, and more importantly, a sadness about the fragility of our community. What happened Thursday, Lisa Schmeiser? Can you can you synopsize this? <laughs> Let me see if I can try. Um, and I want to encourage everybody else to jump in on the details I'm either aligning or getting wrong. I believe this was kickstarted by um, Silicon Valley Bank messaging 
that they were not quite as um, – they had pumped a lot of money into their bonds, sold the bonds. They're short on money. They need more money. And that, in turn, prompted a bankruptcy. <laughs> By the way, not a good thing for a bank to say. I'm just well, saying – Maybe they could have worded that a little differently. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, the problem, Silicon Valley Friday, Bank, which is the number 18 bank in the nation, yeah. with with many billions of dollars uh, in, in, in uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, customers, um, was the chief bank for many venture capital firms, startup firms, venture capital funded firms. And the problem with that is VC, startups that are funded by VC are not like you and me. They get a pile of cash at the beginning Mm-hmm. which they then put in the bank. They don't need loans. Normally, a bank, the kind of bank you and I bank at, we give them our pitiful little paychecks and then <laughs> borrow money from them to buy a house well, or a car. To interject from it, one of the reasons this has turned into a problem is because the banking protections that are in place cover bank customers for deposits, which is, i.e., the pile of money you just talked about, deposits of up to $250,000. But if you are a startup that got a big cash infusion, you have more than 250000 in the bank, and you're millions. drawing against that right. for payroll and operations. Right. So they were using it as a holding, yeah. uh, but they weren't borrowing money. So SVB was in this difficult position where they had a lot of cash. And, of course, you can't just sit on it. You have to yeah. invest it. Mm-hmm. And they made – you know, what I think in hindsight wasn't such a big mistake. They right. bought T-bonds. They bought – yeah. Treasury bonds, which are very low risk, but also very low interest. And then the Fed raised interest rates. There was a really good thread on Friday saying it's not that the bank operated poorly or was a poor steward of money. It's that the messaging that they put out around here's why we need to raise more money sparked a bit of a panicky overreaction. They, they had the last year to unwind uh, some decisions that were perfectly reasonable, mm-hmm. and they did not. And they were afraid, I think, I don't know, they're trying to protect their position, mm-hmm. but it put them in a place where they were, when they hit the crunch, there was no buffer at all because they could have slowly unwound, they could have slowly unwound things. They could have sold assets off. They could have taken a small hit. They could have been quietly raising money. Uh, so when it hit, no one was quite expecting it, except I think the Financial Times called it like two weeks early. They had looked at the at where they were exposed and said, hey, this looks like they're in kind of a bad position. It could get worse, but obviously didn't call the bank run. Um, and I've read a few places, too. If this were a normal bank, if it didn't have customers who were absurdly plugged in and with uh, lots of very large amounts of cash that have to be used immediately for uh, salaries, that there wouldn't have been a run because a normal retail bank, even if you had customers with millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars in some accounts, um, would not have would not have pushed so hard to get the money out so fast. Well, so a bank run happens when well, customers one... panic. Go ahead, Reed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's one thing I'd add to that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you're right. But, you know, I think they also had something like 96 or 98% of their, their customers were over the 250K yes. FDIC threshold. Mm-hmm. So I think that played into it as well. I mean, that's they're, they're mm-hmm. one of the, I think, like the second most, um, you know, second most customers over that threshold. 
they were a Silicon yeah. Valley. Well, to add bank. to what to add to what Reed is saying, typically, um, and there was a really good question in the Discord saying, if you only, if your bank account only protects up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and you have more than that, why wouldn't you have multiple protected accounts? You actually have the option in banks to structure your money in tranches of $250,000. However, your bank has to offer that as an option, and it has to be something that you choose as a customer to do, and it's unclear whether Silicon Valley Bank didn't offer that option or whether customers chose not to take it. But the upshot was that that kind of protection for each of your each of your quarter million dollars. I say like we all have lots. Um, each of your there's the option to protect each of your quarter million dollars. And for whatever reason, the either the customers did not know this option was available or the bank did not offer this option because it's not required. And you it's wouldn't a, expect it's a, it's a it's, it's a it's something you it's it's a business feature you wouldn't <laughs> expect a startup that just got a hundred million dollar in venture funds to divide that up amongst oh, 40 banks it, of a quarter of a million it, dollars each it's, it's a it's a product it's a product mm-hmm. it's called i just heard about this today yeah. it's called insured cash sweep and there are yeah. hundreds of banks that participate uh, so it's actually something that some companies do and they we don't, don't know if svb it. offered that yeah. yeah it doesn't seem like from what we're saying i mean sounds like they did yeah. With Roku has hundreds of millions of dollars that are tied up, but out of a larger cash stash, they made clear what they have. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, on hand, but uh, it's something that some companies do. But it's also, I, I want to. I think at the outset, there's this notion. This is kind of like when people talk about the Social Security fund and it's going bankrupt or insolvent, and it's like, well, it means at some point uh, uh, between when Leo is ready to retire and I'm ready to retire, the uh, <laughs> to give you the range. Uh, That's a large able, range, by the way. Uh, yeah. I don't know how large it is. Right. It might be unable to. Uh, pay 100% of promised benefits. doesn't mean Social Security Fund is out. And the same thing, Silicon Valley Bank has, I don't know, they think, I don't think they have an estimate at the moment, but it has substantial assets that are tied up in an illiquid short-term format. And there's every chance the FDIC has already, the deadline was uh, 11 a.m. Pacific for bids from other banks. They may already have accepted a bid from another bank to make all depositors whole. This is a very possible outcome. And, uh, uh, Usually this will though, all be resolved. Usually though, it would be and read and you and Liz Hoffman had a, had the story on uh, Semaphore. It, hedge funds are also offering mm-hmm. fifty, sixty cents on the dollar yeah. for these bad assets. So is there even a if possible? a bank? But, for, let's, but let's actually let's finish the chronology because we don't mm-hmm. yeah. we haven't said yet what happened. Yeah. So uh, when did when did SVB put out this uh, advisory Wednesday? Oh gosh, I want to say there, when was it Wednesday? It was. In the evening, yeah, because Wednesday. the because like the bank run began on Thursday. So the next yeah. thing that Friday. happened, though, that was yeah. perhaps salient, mm-hmm. is that Peter Thiel's uh, founders fund, uh, what is it, founders fund, venture mm-hmm. capital uh, company, put out a notice to its startups that they thought they should withdraw their money from SVB, that SVB was unstable, and because. Reed, maybe you could pick it up there. What happened yeah. when, when Teal put that it, note out? I mean, it, I would say by the time Teal put that note out, there were a lot of it was already a lot of VCs. It was already were, in the air saying this. Okay, yeah. In fact, so, I mean, and and I would just say, just I mean, as an aside, I mean, there were there were firms that were really on top of this and had been taking their money out months and months ago because um, they sort of saw this coming. Um, I think everybody else kind of just trusted that, you know. It's Silicon Valley Bank. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what we started to hear, you know, the Liz Hoffman and I and and other people uh, heard like early Thursday that 
VCs were kind of like whispering, like, you know, hey, I think you might want to take your money out of out of Silicon Valley Bank. It's mm-hmm. it, you know, it's looking sort of bad. And then there were I saw email exchanges on Thursday morning where, you know, people would recommend this and then lawyers, whoever, you know, would sort of respond and say, This is irresponsible. You shouldn't be sending, you know, these messages out because you know, it's sort of this self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think as reporters, we had that thought too. You know, we could report this right now that people are saying this, but then are we actually like sort of making the story true yeah. mm-hmm. by by spreading it? Because ultimately, you know, Silicon Valley Bank's books were okay, right? I mean, they had to they had to raise money, but they were right. solvent yeah. they, after, you know, they did what they needed to do. Um, so it didn't, this didn't really need to happen. But I think once you start, once those whispers started on Thursday morning, it was like, you know, it was a snowball effect and there was no stopping it. And I think Peter Thiel, obviously, I mean, a lot of people were upset with him for, you know, saying this and then coming out publicly and saying it. But I I don't think it, I don't think he, you know, I think it would have happened anyway. To jump onto something that Reed was saying, I have a friend who works at a fairly high profile startup in Silicon Valley. She sits right next to the CEO and she slacked me on Friday morning and she's like, my CEO has been on calls with all of their VC and CEO friends all morning and they're trying to figure out how to make payroll. Everybody is is flipping out. And this speaks to the the thing that I'm still wrapping my head around about this bank run is how much of it is based on word of mouth and watching what everybody else does. And, oh, if they're doing it, I better do it. And, oh, if this person says they're going to do it, well, I I trust them. So now I'm off to pull my money as well because she's like, oh, another one's pulling, another one's pulling. And I just kept thinking, really, just based on a phone conversation with a friend who's nervous about SVP, you're you're pulling all of your money out? Um, Nobody wants to be the last one out. (laughs) Yeah, but that's what's happening is people are, are, well, my friend said, and I was like, oh, wow, it's like middle school. (laughs) There's a good illustration. I think probably Uh people have seen the run in the bank in the uh, It's a Wonderful Life. But this Mm -hmm. is perhaps the best illustration from a much beloved American television show you may Mm -hmm. know as the Simpsons. What do you mean the bank is out of money? Insolvent? You only have enough cash for the next three customers. Now, I am going to get this show will be now taken down on YouTube, but I did that yeah. for you so that you would understand <laughs> exactly how a run in the bank a, starts. Yeah. This it's, is the thing, too, that we live in a modern banking era. The FDIC exists. Um, I'm, I'm somebody who will always bang the drum of Sheila Barr, who is the FDIC uh, head uh, during the 2007-2008 meltdown. Unheralded, I would say, person who helped the economy survive. And you can read her quoted saying very smart, sensible and non-sensationalist uh, things right now. Um, and it's it wasn't a, it was a run on the bank, but it's not a the bank doesn't have the money scenario. And I I do keep emphasizing that because it's the bank it has a shortfall, right? Likely a liquidity don't know how much. problem. It has liquidity problem, and it may have a shortfall, but absorbed into a larger bank. If it's you know it's in the top twenty, but there are much larger banks, and there's banks who would love to get so all this VC people let's, let's get, into as their account holders. Let's continue the chronology. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thursday, there's a run in the bank. And I, you know, yeah. I mean, this happened very, very quickly. I mean, I started seeing this. And if you were on Twitter, which really was seems to be the place mm-hmm. to watch this bank burn, uh, you, you saw it happen in real time. <laughs> By Friday, 
the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation had taken over the yeah. bank. It was already it had, it was mm-hmm. almost immediately mm-hmm. taken over by the federal government. Uh, I, I'll tell you, there's an amazing photo that came out of that. Is there was a picture of one of the branches of the of SBP SVB, and it showed a piece of plywood covering a window. And I thought, did someone break the window? I'm like, no, that's where the ATM is. The FDIC came, they pulled the ATM section out of it, and they put up a piece of plywood on Friday morning. Wow. That's how that's how quickly uh, they move. Mm-hmm. Um, I also saw a picture. I think it was fraudulent of an SVB bank branch turned into a spirit Halloween store, <laughs> but I don't think I don't think that was real. Okay, I'm just I'm just saying. I, I'll, I'll check on it. Uh, but yeah, no. So so, but that's good. That's what's supposed to happen, right? Right. The concern at this point, and what I've been reading all weekend, is wait till Monday morning. Now, Janet Yellen, the Secretary of the Treasury, was on the uh, news shows this morning kind of saying nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said, you'll be, if you're uh, $250,000, you'll be insured. The rest of you will be made whole, but it's going to take a little bit longer, blah, blah, blah. There were, I saw lots of calls on Twitter uh, from people saying, uh, you know, somebody should buy this bank. So, Reed, explain now uh, what happens next and what is, what's going to happen Monday morning that we should worry about. Yeah, I mean, well, what happens next with SVB is kind of surprisingly up in the air because I think, you know, there, there's a feeling that the Fed should come in or the FDIC should come in and basically the government should guarantee everybody's deposits. A, a 2008 kind of, Lehman Brothers style bailout. Too big to fail. Right. We're just going to make everybody whole. That is not on the right. table as far as I could tell. No, I don't, yeah, no I think it is. I think it is on is the it? table. I think. Yeah, I think I think yeah. it's actually, if you think about it, a, a fairly sensible option because, you know, it like we said earlier, you know, they actually had the funds. I mean, the money's there. It just needs to be distributed. And now there's going to be this delay. And that's the, really the problem. Well, there's two problems. One is the delay, which then could sort of force startups out of business because they don't have enough money to make payroll. They'll probably be OK for the next two weeks. And then after that, it's up in the air. Um, the other problem is just the, the the trust, right? Like, do people trust the banking system? First Republic Bank was a, was a competitor. They were trying to get a bunch of that Silicon Valley business as well. And on Friday afternoon, people started saying, wait a minute, I, like, should I take my money out of First Republic? And because the U.S. banking system is so antiquated, they weren't able to do that Friday afternoon because the wires shut down all weekend. Right. And so people have been, you know, People I've talked to, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, are texting each other, going on group chats and talking about, like, what are you going to do Monday? And I think the conclusion is, like, we should take our money out of First Republic now Monday. And so there's this feeling that, like, something has to happen. So the, the government has to step in and do something drastic just to restore faith in the, in the banking industry. And I think it makes a lot of sense to just guarantee all deposits in this case. Because what that would do is it would, you know, people would feel better about the banking system. Like, hey, you know, somebody's got our back here. But also the government's going to get that money back because the assets are there. So it's kind of like a short-term bridge loan, if you will, um, that could sort of like stop a massive financial disaster. But I think there's a political problem, which is like, well, hey, you're bailing out these rich VC types, right? Silicon think, Valley elites will be the phrase that gets used. Coastal right, elites, so I, techie elites. It will be, but it really isn't. Con- yeah. It's not, or it's yeah. not just. Etsy yeah. set out an email to Etsy sellers mm-hmm. saying there's going to be a delay in processing your payments because 
our cash, or at least some of it, yeah. was in Silicon Valley Bank. Well, what's the name of the payroll service that yeah. uses Silicon Valley Bank? There was a really good oh, piece right. in New York Magazine oh, this weekend. Or- um, and the reason I remember, I remember part of the piece, there's just been a tsunami of information. I remember the piece because it's a healthcare services provider in Florida that can't make payroll now because the payroll okay. company they use is with, you know, Silicon Valley. Oh, that's Bank. interesting. So and it's con- not that the healthcare provider's money was in SVB, but they tra- we do this too. We mm-hmm. use a payroll provider yeah. and we transfer money into their account and then they cut checks for the employees. Mm-hmm. The The money was in SVB mm-hmm. and now they can't cut checks to the employees. Yeah, the payroll service can't fulfill rippling. its obligations. It was rippling. Yeah, it's a ripple effect. Yeah. No, it's called rippling. Yeah. Yeah. That's the name <laughs> of it. It's <laughs> rippling okay. and it's a yeah, ripple effect. Use, yeah. We use rippling as well. But, yeah. But these yeah. are like home Parker healthcare Conrad's workers. In, in, these are home healthcare workers in Florida who will have nothing to do with tech elites or yeah. they're not venture capitalists. These are people who are busy taking care of your grandma for $14 an hour and yeah. they're not getting paid for it. This is Parker. <laughs> Conrad's yeah. tweet, we, Rippling, discovered yeah. yesterday that SVB had an unexpected solvency challenges. Yeah. Just That's now true. we learned that the FDIC had stepped in and effectively shut down SVB. This is from Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rippling has historically relied on SVB for payment rails mm-hmm. for our payroll and other products. Now, he says, in light of yesterday's news, we immediately accelerated a planned switch to J.P. Morgan Chase. That's what a lot of people are doing. In mm-hmm. fact, you had on Semaphore a, a good... Um, a graph of percentage of deposits at select banks that exceed the insurance mm-hmm. cap. Only Bank of New York was higher with 98%, yeah. SVB 97%, but JP Morgan's 68%, much more like a traditional bank. Mm-hmm. Citigroup's 85%. So yeah. people are looking for a safe harbor. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean they're going to be able to get their money out of SVB, but th- but even well, it people- takes a while to open up an account, right? I mean, right. That, that was another problem people I talked to were having on you know thursday friday it was like they're trying to transfer the money out and they don't have another account for their business right so they were saying well should i just transfer my company's money into my personal oh. bank account no and kind of no no an iffy situation and so i think it and again it goes back to like the antiquated u.s banking system it just takes a while to open up an account they have all these know your customer rules so i mean jp morgan was definitely taking a lot of inflow on you know, Thursday and Friday, but it takes time. There's antiquated, but there's also, that's the know your customer thing. As you mentioned, that's intentional. There are reasons to, to put a curb on it to prevent fraud and illegitimate criminal use. So that's, that's uh, that, it, that attempt for the regulators to prevent that is also putting a curb on this when there's a legitimate reason. Uh, and there wasn't time to put in some kind of override as well. But you know, this isn't, I'm sorry, Cleo, you're still doing the chronology, but this isn't FTX. Again, it, mm-hmm. it's not a, um, it's not an entry on a ledger that says $8 billion. Oops, where did it go? <laughs> There's another issue here with J.P. Morgan, by the way, that came up. So J.P. Morgan didn't used to lend to startups like First uh, First Republic or, well, First Republic and also Silicon Valley Bank do. Um, they got into this business, I think, a few years ago and have been really trying to compete with Silicon Valley Bank. They've been trying to take a lot of people from SVB went over to J.P. Morgan so people were saying, well, oh, why doesn't J.P. Morgan just buy Silicon Valley Bank and then just end this whole problem? Mm. But there's there are rules about how many, what percentage of total deposits in the country you can have. And all the big banks like J.P. Morgan are like right up against that 10% threshold. So they would have had to get special dispensation to, to be able to buy 
Silicon Valley Bank? And that's another question I have. It's like, why didn't that happen immediately? Like, why, why didn't, you know, people come in from the Fed and say, look, like, you know, don't worry about that rule. We'll figure it out later. Because um, I'm sure J.P. Morgan would have loved to have just taken over that business. There was so much misinformation and ill-informed mm-hmm. opinions flowing all over Twitter. And I really, we're going to try really hard today to, uh, and it's good we have this panel. We're going to ha- try really <laughs> hard to give you actual uh, facts and uh, and as little speculation as possible. Um, and then there are people like Jason Calacanis, who I did try to get on the show today, uh, who tweet all in caps yesterday, on Monday, I should just imagine me shouting, 100,000 Americans will be lined up at their regional bank demanding their money. Most will not get it. This is like not Bart much. Simpson standing in line yeah. saying, this went from Silicon Valley insiders on Thursday to the middle class on Saturday. Main Street finds out on Monday. That's the kind of populism nonsense that is going to get people hurt and it's going to it hurts the economy because it's not true. It's the American banking system is is robust. It's well regulated. There, this is not a this is a failure of one bank to manage its risks. It didn't have a a, a risk officer. I just found out the other day. Didn't have a chief a person in charge mm-hmm. of risk management this last year. Um, the person previously in that position left after selling stock, according to one report. So, uh, and think in twenty twenty one. So this is this is not a uh, we're in a very different position. Like it, like all of us who are old enough are having flashbacks two thousand seven two thousand eight two thousand one the nineteen nineties. I was in college when Black Monday hit in the eight late eighties. Right, we all have flashbacks to these previous things. But those a lot of those involved no money. They involved bad debt, bad mortgages, bad decisions that piled on. This is a structural error where if SVB had handled this correctly last week or in the last year or even last week or had privately worked with the FDIC, the regulators, another bank, could have sold themselves and become a subsidiary inside another institution. There are many pathways in which this didn't have to happen. It, because it did, I think you can lay that largely at the at the feet of the people running the institution. Well, and there are However, those who want to not- also blame Congress because in 2008, the Dodd-Frank Reform Act was passed well in 2010 in response to the 2008 yeah. crash. That was repealed in 2018. Uh, is it the, is it the lack of regulation that allowed SVB to ignore this impending crisis? Anything, I don't know. They didn't do anything that was that. I I, I have I haven't analyzed. If I you know if I'm did, them, I'm saying well we bought we bought treasuries. Bought bonds. <laughs> I, I think there was an article in the New York Times that said, you know, that they, they supported those the rollback of those regulations. They did, yes. I haven't read yeah. I haven't read an analysis um, you know, to, to your earlier point, like on exactly like whether they this could have still happened. My my guess is that it could have, that it wasn't necessarily just purely because of a rollback of regulations. Um I think the other question is like why what made Silicon Valley Bank think that they could get away with just sort of saying, hey, everything is cool. We need more money, but don't worry. Your your money's safe and not actually arrange a sale immediately before this all spun out of control. I wonder why they thought that was possible. I, I, you know, I I really, legitimate question. I mean, it's not a rhetorical question. I just, they're, you know, it'd be interesting to hear the thought process. There's your Pulitzer. Just find out why. Yeah, it seems like all of this is just human nature. Um, everything yeah. from the bad judgment calls that Reed has, has has pointed out to how people chose to react as customers to how people are choosing to amplify specific positions on Twitter, and 
none of this has any bearing on the realities of where the money is and how long it will take to get to your money and whether or not it's still safe to have your money in there. It's all just people reacting in a really knee-jerk sort of way. I, I, I mean, the fr- main reason Janet Yellen was on the mm-hmm. news shows this morning was to just say that. Yeah. It's fine. The right. banking system is solvent. There's mm-hmm. no problem. Uh, but do you think come tomorrow morning that there will be people who will go to their banks and what are they going to do? Put the money we, in the mattress? Did we run out of toilet paper in 2020? Yes, there will be people going. I'm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you are it's, always going to have people who, who move from a place where if this is happening, I want to get mine before it's all gone. Um, the rational feeling here, okay, if you have under you know, 250K, you're going to be okay, but there might be a period of time, whether that's a couple of days or a week where you don't have access to that cash, right? So I think people, the rational thing is like, okay, do do I have enough cash? To, you <laughs> it's know, Jimmy Storch and how much do you need to um, get through the week? <laughs> oh, have you seen <laughs> right. all those memes? <laughs> um, those are, that's an individual, you know, sort of calculus. For If you're a business, there's a whole other interesting calculus but well the fdic could raise the limit too they did this during uh, i believe temporarily during the 2007 2008 crisis they could come out and say uh, we're raising insurance limit to a million two million five million dollars temporarily um they could come out and say we're going to insure uh all we're going to make uh, uh the fed could say we're going to make all of this uh liquid temporarily by creating a uh a temporary bad assets bank and then we're going to sell the good assets to a company that's going to give us par 100 to 100 cent value like there's all these very very likely positive outcomes. And so if you have someone like Calacanis out there shaking a fist and saying, we're all going to, it's, you know, hopefully those people are, it's not helpful because it's not, it's not realistic. And if there is a panic, then the feds have to regulate. They'll come in, Mm -hmm. they will actually shut down withdrawals. They will have to invoke uh, a higher level of bank calming that is required for this situation than was probably even required in 2007 and 2000. Yeah, so, Twitter uh, was probably part of the problem, and now it's yeah. and now it's sort of becoming this toxic. It's, it's kind fuel of, on the fire. Becoming this sort yeah, of toxic. Like, <laughs> you know, don't bail well, out the <laughs> you know don't bail out the VCs, and it's like totally just no, know, cutting off your nose to spite. The you. only people who lose me. money are there are investors in SVB. Yeah. Mm-hmm. equity stakeholders yeah. in SVB, right. they may lose money. They probably will lose money. Right? They'll probably lose. Yeah. So the st- tax hold, taxpayers may have. I mean, the TARP program in 2007 to, I think, was it well, around down to 2011 or 12 or something, it was profitable. The American taxpayers got a return on that outlay. There are disputes about whether it was actually necessary, the way it was structured, et cetera. It was not a net loss to the American taxpayer. So the depositors were probably made whole. Taxpayers may be on the hook for nothing or will be made whole. Shareholders, the people who people like to complain about, the people who are invested in the market, the people who are taking speculative risk by owning uh, assets and not doing enough research or whatever, um, they're the ones who will take it on the chin, and that's probably the way it should be. That's how it works. That's why it's called speculative. If it were it a guaranteed right uh, thing, you wouldn't have to buy T-bills. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think people that this is like this sort of like anti-billionaire sort of yeah, sentiment. Yeah. yeah and and right I, I think that. there's like, yeah. there are two kind of like, there are two issues, right? It's like one is, yeah, I mean, there's income inequality is a big problem in this country. It de- it's destabilizing. We need, mm-hmm. you know, you, you might think we need, you know, universal health care. We need, you know, backstops to help people out. But like, that's sort of a different issue from there's this emergency right now. And if we don't solve this problem, there's going to be a huge, you know, yeah. a, a huge disaster. Right. And I, I, I think people have a 
hard time separating those two things mm-hmm. is, is what's going well, on. I, th- I think the challenge is you have to take a look at the SVB and say, okay, how much of this emergency is just a self-inflicted wound and they're just going to have to like limp around because they stubbed their toe? And how much of this emergency is they've stubbed their toe and they're now careening around the room, knocking into other people like stub your toe. That's fine. Just don't take out anybody else on your way down. So on Friday, the FDIC, well, the California Department of Financial yeah. Protection closed the bank invited the FDIC in as receiver. The FDIC has now renamed it. Uh, the, the, on Monday morning, a new bank will open. It'll be called uh, uh, some sort of Santa Clara Deposit Clara Insurance bank. National Bank of Santa Clara. Very um, exciting. They're saying checks written on SVP accounts will continue to clear. Mm-hmm. They're not going to stop that. Insured depositors, the FDIC said, will have access to their deposits no later than Monday morning. At that time, the branch offices will open. In fact, the FDIC offered big bonuses to employees to stay at work, not to, mm-hmm. not to well, leave. Yeah. We'll give you a 50% raise or double o- OT, if you, if you, if but you, you are going to lose your job in 45 days. So they're going to, they're gonna, I don't know what's going to happen. That may not even be true if a bank buys it yeah. and keeps the branches mm-hmm. open. So yeah. it's unclear. There's a piece of news out today. I, you may all have seen this, but it was that uh, it may have been from the morning shows, but the Washington Post has a story describing the process, and it says bids were expected by uh, with the 11 a.m. 2 p.m. Right? today. Yeah, 11, yeah. A, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern right. from banks interested, and then that's when we know whether something more extreme will have to happen. If uh, if Goldman Sachs or J.P. Morgan or somebody else comes along and says we're willing to, you know, there's going to be a, a Dutch bid or something, a reverse Dutch bidding where you like go to the, the highest bidder, the one who gets closest to a dollar to a dollar uh will win and then i don't know the mechanics of it i mean this is where reed i will agree with you on antiquated banking process like what happens if they, i like, have to say though it may be antiquated but i'm impressed at how yeah kind of efficiently and effectively this this happened i mean we have some experience with this going back to the great depression and so we do have a system that seems oh, yeah seems to work so that the auction is over now uh, they haven't yet announced so according to the post congress is weighing their the preferred solution would be a bank comes and buys them yeah absolutely. but congress is weighing protecting all deposits if uh the plan to sell fails according to the washington it, it post seems, i just think one of the possibilities would be out there but it's i just wonder like structurally you've got account you know my account number 53 at svb like what happens like oh jp morgan bought all the assets let's say uh so do you suddenly have a jv jp morgan account do they reopen the old accounts like i wonder is it like a minutes days or four well, weeks before and there's also concern i mean this billions is this, kick out. this is the 17th or 18th largest bank in the country there's also some good reasonable concern that it concentrates the banking system and you don't mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't want to do that. You don't want to make a big bank like J.P. Morgan even bigger. Because um, what happens when the, the, the next largest bank is, right. is the one that has the, the panic and the right. bank run? Um, <laughs> before, okay. Uh, in the event, in that event, so, so 250000 you're covered. Don't worry. That's fine. That's done. More than that, uh, a provision of federal banking law, according to the Post, may give the FDIC, the authority to protect uninsured deposits as well, if failing to do so would be a, cause a systemic rest, risk to the financial system. In that event, uninsured deposits could be backstopped by an insurance fund, which is existing. It's right. currently paid into regularly by U.S. banks. But 
Two-thirds of the Fed's Board of Governors and the FDIC Board have to approve that, uh, along with Janet Yellen. So there is a, I think there is a fairly orderly process. And I think really the most important yeah. message, and this is Yellen's message on Face the Nation, is we got it. It's under control. Mm -hmm. Don't run to your bank on Monday and take your money out. That would be silly. Um, and if you're an SVP depositor, hang on. We got you. Uh, even if your amount, if the money you have exceeds the uh, insured amount, you're going to be okay. It just may take a little bit longer. Is that accurate to say all of that? Reed, is that roughly the? I, yeah, it is. I think we. I think that to, to stop this, though, to stop people from going and taking their money out on Monday, there's going to have to be something that's more concrete. I mean, I was on a group chat today um, where you know they got a message. Somebody got a message from First Republic Bank saying, "Don't worry." We've got enough money in, in our accounts. Everything's fine. And they, they screenshotted it and said, oh, my God, they're screwed. And I'm, <laughs> no. I mean, there's this there's this like inverse effect, right? Yeah. Of Like what as soon as a bank or whoever it is just says, don't worry, everything's fine. Like it makes people nervous. And the whole system just relies on the fact that people aren't nervous, that they trust the system. So I think it needs to be something more like here's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to guarantee all the deposits or whatever it is. And that's what's going to make people feel better, I think. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you the secret is have all your money in mortgages and debt. If you, like me, if you don't have cash in the bank, <laughs> you can't you're lose totally anything. protected. You can't and they'll right. be sure to make it's sure fantastic. those mortgages uh, continue. Yeah, I, without, without, without I'm, I feel very lucky right now. Let's not get into the real estate uh, <laughs> talk. I have all my money in real estate, so it's uh, even more scary, I think. I pro This is not, I mean, I have, I'm close to retirement, so I have, all of my retirement funds in a single institution. It's not a bank. It's a, you know, it's fidelity. I presume I'm okay, but I don't know. But I don't it's know an investment. Yeah. It's an investment, different, right? It's not like of rules they, they actually have to be holding the stock certificates, yeah, right? Yeah. They can't yeah. just lend that to Glenn Fleischman and hope all the works out okay, right? Okay, good. Oops, all, no, they're going to say, oops, all Bitcoin is what they'll tell you. <laughs> we went big on NFTs. I hope that's okay. <laughs> we did. At one point, there was an advertiser came to us and said, hey, yeah, we we uh, we will now let people buy Bitcoin in their retirement funds. Can you do those ads? And I said, oh, my God. No. <laughs> Thank said, you. I don't think I want to do you. that to our fine audience. I try not to oh. recommend things like that. Uh, Washington Post again. Talked to a professor at the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business, Anil Kashyap. He says, this is not a systemic event. This is a mid-sized bank that was badly managed. It may be a little messy, but that's different than if you have somebody at the core of the financial system stop making payments to somebody else at the mm -hmm. core of the system, and then the core implodes. This is not a systemic event. We're going to be okay. So that's the message, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Did, did Don't listen to Jason was... Calacanis. It's going to be fine. I'd be super Except curious did... with his with his tweets. There's a lot of quote tweets. And are the quote tweets amplifying and buying in? Or are they like, this is monkey shines? Do you think people are... Well, I think for Jason, it's entertainment, right? But I, but no. there are probably people, hedge funds, you talk mm -hmm. about that, uh, read in your article uh, at Semaphore, mm -hmm. that want to capitalize on this, that yeah. hope to make a little money. The hedge funds are offering, what is it you said... Uh, 60 cents on the dollar. It's not an act of charity, Aww. man. What are they but I, I will say <laughs> nobody's taking that deal, right? I mean, yeah. they they were coming in and trying to get 60 cents. In the, that would be a great deal for them, right? Because they mean, know they'll every, get the money ultimately, right? That should be yeah, the, inf that's yeah. the information you need. They wouldn't be offering right. money 
if they didn't think they were going to get their money in the end. Yeah, it's going to, I mean, I think people are thinking like the worst case, 90 cents, 95. I mean, look, I could be wrong. Everyone could be wrong. I mean, I, I have no idea, but that's what everybody thinks. But, you well, know, the good news is we don't record do. this show. So you could say anything you want. No one will ever hold right. you accountable. There's no record. There's no record whatsoever. I remember what was going on before the show. You were looking up every episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, I, I just want to point it out that you quoted a guy from the Washington Post who sounded like his name was Neil Cash App. I know that wasn't his name. But I was, did think it was ironic that it sounded that Mr. Similar. Cash App said... He wants to be in business, right? Mr. Cash Dollar. $42 billion in withdrawals in Thursday. $42 billion, which led it on Thursday alone with a negative balance of nearly a billion dollars. But they had $41 billion on hand. But they had $42 billion. amazing when you think about it. (laughs) What is the, there is a, uh, I mean, maybe this is old fashioned, Uh but there's a reserve amount that they have Mm -hmm. to keep in in, in the vaults, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, well, that was what. Forced them to have to do the raise and all that, right? right. I mean, they had to, right. you know, they the and, and sell illiquid assets, right? And, ah, yeah. and that's what triggered this was keeping those reserves. This is still what's weird about the modern economy, too, is whenever whenever you talk about uh, cryptocurrency, you know, it's all it's all exists electronically. It's it's only like two billion or was it two trillion dollars of cash in actual physical form that circulates. And I think it's 20 trillion that is in only as electronic records. So there is a kind of a, I mean, it's real. It's real in the sense that we it's bits. all believe in it. Yeah. We all trust it. But yeah. it's um it's backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, but it is a bunch of electronic records. So when they had $41 billion in withdrawals, I'm guessing 40.559,000 of that, or a million of that was probably in, uh, you know. Yeah, you don't digits. have some kid in Allbirds running over to the bank with a, with a wheelbarrow. <laughs> all, I need the startup funds. It's, so, it's, and the other thing to look at when you're watching Twitter is maybe uh, is to look at the angle yeah. somebody's working. For instance, if you... Uh, had about billion and a half dollars in the bank and thought, oh God, what are we going to do? It would be in your interest to create a run on other banks so that the FDIC would st- step in and bank and cover your one and a half bill because they're not otherwise. So there may be also some incentive for people who are deeply involved in SVB to get other banks to suffer so the FDIC steps in. Things like that. You got to keep in mind. So instead of it being a mid-sized bank, that yeah, let's make it a big failure so that I yeah. can get my ass covered. Yeah, but believe me, people there's been think a lot like of that. that on, like on Twitter. There's been a lot of people sort of talking about First Republic now and saying, you know, right. it's about it's like dooms dooms. So consider the source. It feels a little what bit like the game so, the GameStop yeah. so, stock thing, where you just had a group of people who were like, wouldn't it be fun oh, to, yeah. to juke a bunch of stocks? Let's create buzz and let's create a crowd action and then let's see what happens. But and never underestimate how poorly people will behave if there's money at stake. They really oh, will no. act badly in their own <laughs> interest, even <laughs> if it means a million other people suffer. So just when you're reading Twitter... Well, best thing would be not to read Twitter ever again. That's, I was going to say, I, well, I just call this, I'm not on Twitter. By the so way, Mastodon, did you see a whole bunch of stuff in Mastodon about this? A little bit. Wasn't a, a lot bit. of freakouts. I, I think on that point about just sort of acting in your own interest, it was interesting to talk to venture capitalists. I mean, a lot of them felt they, you know, the thing to remember about Silicon Valley Bank is like it's it was a community institution in the Bay Area, right? For for the tech industry, they had all these events, they had box seats at the game, they had cabins up in the mountains. They, you know, 
they were they were really like they built these close relationships, right? And I, I remember talking with a VC or texting with a VC on Thursday morning, and I said, "What's what's going on with with SVB?" And he's like, "What do you you know? It's fine. I was there. I was just." with people at SVB, they told me everything is fine. It's like, it's not a big deal. And then it's like, you know, a a couple of hours later, you know, the same VC is like, we're having emergency meetings. Like, I think we need to like take the money out, but felt like bad about it, you know? But I think there was this cognitive dissonance in, in the Valley where I think like these VCs who, you know, had, had the Silicon Valley bank had helped them. Like they, a lot of them had personal mortgages there at like very low. Or they got rate. their first credit card there or their first. There well, was oh, this... Malik mentions that they were the only bank willing to take a flyer on him when nobody else would. Yeah. I mean, he talks about that. Oh yeah. yeah. There, there's I ta- a lot of people. So they may, really... they have relationships, yeah. which is why, by the right. way, another bank might want to come along mm-hmm. uh, and reopen under the SVB brand. You can't buy those kind of relationships. Those are just built up over, yeah. time and overseeing how they benefit other people it's 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 positive reputation but the even the you know the ceo of svb was like asking people he's like look we were there for you like be there for us and it yeah. turns out like that's just not no, how it works no like, it people, isn't if they, <laughs> if they feel threatened you know they're gonna <laughs> take their money out and you know it's it was it was kind of sad actually to talk to people i i talked to one entrepreneur who told me that he had a story about, you know, nine eleven. like he had a term sheet that, you know, went up, like went away with the World Trade Center basically. And like SVB was there with a loan yeah. to like oh my help gosh. him get through it. And, you yeah. know, people just had this emotional connection to it. And, you know, I mean, it's a little, I mean, I, I maybe I'm getting a little sappy, but, you know, and it's all just business, but, you know, it, it, it was, I think there was an element to it that wasn't really like a normal bank. And I think that also played into maybe this, this feeling that they could get through this, you know, they could get through their tough times because they had built up all this, all this goodwill and it turns out, no. So but it's Reed, like the opposite allig- of that scene and it's a wonderful life where instead uh-huh. of it being like your money's in, oh. in this, in, in this payroll service and it's here and it's here. I was like, I don't care. I want yeah, my give me money. my money. It's okay to be sappy and human about this though, yeah. because there's no allegations of fraud it, no. whatever happened if people made mistakes which it seems like it seems like mistakes were made but they were not totally unreasonable failures people covering things up maybe we'll find out later there's more to that story but it just seems like there was that interview with the ceo last tuesday where he's like oh i love to go biking it's really relax i mean you're just like the guy had no idea this was coming there was no this was a a a storm that hit them maybe they summoned that storm but they didn't do something wrong like these aren't malefactors who there's going to be a five-part netflix documentary about right it's going to be more like a very technical story i can imagine one of those pieces that like uh, Barron's runs is 10,000 words explaining every little, you know, financial thing, but it won't be, uh, it won't be a, a, a Theranos or something. Doesn't no, like but I all. think that there will be, I mean, I agree with you, but I, I, I think people will go back and they will write stories about, you know, this bank taking risks and, mm-hmm. you know, making loans to risky startups and all this stuff. And I think there, I think there is an element where that the bank did sort of take on this, this kind of like acceptance of risk that the, that their clients had, right? Because that's the culture of of Silicon Valley is nice. you know you take these risks and a lot of times these loans they were sort of almost backstopped by just this faith that you know hey we know the VC firm behind this company you know mm-hmm. we know those people and 
not so much, I mean, because how, how could it be the fundamentals of the company, right? These companies have no revenue. So most of them. So I think, um, and, and, you know, of course, like the, a lot of the founders who, who took out loans were doing so, so that they could hold on to their equity, right? Not so much because they needed the money and they could have gone out and raised more capital and given away shares. Um, but they wanted to become more wealthy. So I think you could go back and you could spin that story in a way. And I'm sure people will, but I do, I do think that's a spin. Like that's a take on it. I think, I think it's kind of a cynical take personally, but <laughs> uh, I got to tell you, financial times had an article on February 22nd, mm-hmm. almost a month ago, Silicon Valley bank oh, profit no. squeeze and tech downturn attracts short sellers. Uh, California institution that serves startups seen under scrutiny, over investments that have left it with an unrealized $15 billion loss. I mean, this this is, shouldn't have been a surprise, right? Uh, but it's not malfeasance. They invested in long-term federal T-bills. bonds, right? <laughs> yeah, but you know, Not um, exactly but, right. prime mortgage. Right. Matt Levine at Bloomberg has this, you know, he has that great newsletter. And he, he's Love been Matt's banging this drum take. for... That's, he's the first guy I read on this, by the way, yeah, immediately. He's yeah. been banging the drum for a long time, which I think uh, I think is generally agreed by very sensible people, is that when you're at a time of, of 0% interest, you invest in weird stuff because you need to get a return. And money's free to get. So free all the money, money. that flew... Yep flowed into crypto and all the money that flowed into VC was because you needed something more constructive to do with your money. The minute interest rates go up, everybody who's locked into anything long-term at low interest rates where they're, where they're, they can't get it out, where it's a liquid, they're stuck like SVB and anybody who wants to take their money and put it into something safer, but now high interest takes their money out of things that are structured in a worse way. And so crypto imploded, SVP imploded. Um, Levine would argue this is just a natural consequence of, of higher interest rates. Let's take a little break. And uh, so I think we've covered this sufficiently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Calacanis is listening and wants to rebut, but I know you guys <laughs> would prefer not to do it while you're on the air. Maybe after the show is over, I'll give Jason mm-hmm. 10 minutes and he can, he can, is that okay with you? I won't That's, be here. I need to plug in my laptop. Go so plug in your minutes. laptop, Reed. I'm going to talk about ZipRecruiter mm-hmm. and we'll be back with other subjects. Cause I know, you know, uh, a lot of our audience says, so what, right? So what? Uh, we tr- I think we tried to explain that this will impact normal people, like mm-hmm. your payroll might not be working. Mm-hmm. But uh, ultimately, this should be, and I hope it will be a so what. Everything goes on. There's no run on the bank at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, and, uh, and everybody goes back to uh, life as usual. But it was a big story. Let me tell you, it was a big story in Silicon Valley. Our show today brought to you by Zip Recruiter. If you're hiring for your team, thank you. First of all, despite current headlines, several industries, healthcare, hospitality, cybersecurity, they're all heading for a a hiring boom. So no matter what industry you're in, if you need to hire, there's one place to go. It's where we go. The minute we've got an opening, we go to ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. And here's the good news. You can try it right now for free. It's if you're down a person, it's a tough thing. When our uh, continuity person got a different job, she wanted didn't want the commute. She she left. She gave us two weeks notice, but we're thinking in two weeks, everybody's got to work harder because we've all got to cover a job. Lisa's freaking out. That morning, I'm sitting with her at breakfast. She says, "I got to post this right now." I mean, she literally just got the email. She goes on ZipRecruiter. Before lunch, 
really within the first hour, she starts going, oh, hey, we got a good one. Oh, this one's great. This one's wonderful. We got a bunch of great applicants. And in fact, we hired our wonderful Viva thanks to ZipRecruiter. That's what's so awesome. I could tell you all the great things about the ZipRecruiter interface. You don't get emails. You don't get phone calls. It all goes into the ZipRecruiter interface. It makes it easy to screen people, rate them, hire the right one fast. But I got to tell you, the best thing about ZipRecruiter, it uses its powerful matching technology. When you post that job, instantly they go out and look at current resumes they have on file to find qualified candidates, people who meet your needs. And then they give you the names and say, if you'd like to invite them, these five people really would be perfect. You send out the invite, which makes a big difference, by the way. When a company, you're applying for work and a company comes to you and says, hey, we'd like you to apply for this job. You're going you're gonna to go to the interview. You're going to show up. You're going to be wearing bells, right? So we got great. We get great people that way. I just think ZipRecruiter is the easiest, fastest, bestest way to hire. We that's what we use. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate in the first day. We usually get it in the first hour or two. It's amazing. Find quality candidates fast. Let ZipRecruiter keep your team growing strong. Can't have Eva though. We love Eva. We're not giving her up. ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. You could try it for free right now. ZipRecruiter. Dot com slash T-W-I-T. We thank ZipRecruiter for supporting the show. And uh, we thank you for supporting it back by going to that address. So they know you saw it here, right? ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. Reed, you get plugged in? Yes. You have power? Like I have power. I, have power. I, realize, I thought these new Macs were supposed to have like a battery that lasts forever. It's like I had 100% battery. Wow. <laughs> Zoom up. must suck it down. Really? Yeah. What? Well, yeah, also, our shows are longer than they feel <laughs> or something. <laughs> it's actually been, been five like, hours, didn't you know? Yeah, I was going to say. There's a lot <laughs> of listeners saying, Leo, this show is never longer than it feels. <laughs> <laughs> already tomorrow. <laughs> uh, oops. Yes, it's already uh, it's already Monday morning. Uh, let's see what else is going on in the world. Meta, a.k.a. Facebook. Has threatened Canada. Why I oughta? So there is a bill, C-18. We've been talking about it before. Michael Geist, who's a Canadian law- lawyer, talks a lot about uh, C-18. It would make Google and Meta compensate news organizations when posts or links to their work appear on those sites. So if, uh, uh, you know, Lisa, you're on Facebook and you say, oh, here's a great article about SVB, you post it there and Meta's got to pay Semaphore for that mm-hmm. article. Meta doesn't like that too much. A, a spokesperson said the company is planning to remove Canadians' access to both written and broadcast news if B- Bill C-18 becomes law. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So what they're doing, in other words, if you're a Canadian who uses Facebook and you wanted to no put, news, you wanted to put a link to a, to an article, you couldn't do that. Couldn't anymore. do that. Instagram too. How are they going to enforce that? Are they going to use Geo? I think you could put a link in, but it wouldn't get propagated. Well, no, no. Like, how are they going to know that? It, so, so the question I have is: um, first off, is this law 
only for Canadian citizens. So if you travel from Yellowknife down to Miami, are you like, all right, now is the time for me to shine, <laughs> and, and you have and, and you do all your links, or are it they would go- just be Canada? Well, then this is the thing: is if you're a U.S. citizen, and, it's not going to affect you, Lisa. Well, no, no, no. I'm serious. It could though, because if you go to Vancouver, and you're like, oh no, oh. you can't do it in Vancouver. Yeah. Well, but I'm a U.S. citizen, so why is Meta because you're abrogating in, my rights as a U.S. You're citizen? In just be, yeah. and, and blame and, Canada, baby. And what are they going to do about VPNs? What is to stop somebody Uh-oh. from using a VPN and saying, ha 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 ha, I'm not in, I'm not in Yellowknife anymore. I'm in Venice. Um, Elisa Laventure, a Meta spokesperson, said, mm-hmm. "If the Online News Act passes in its current form, we will end the availability of news content on Facebook and Instagram for people in." Canada, a legislative framework that compels us to pay for links or content that we do not post and which are not the reason the vast majority of people use our platform. I'm getting all worked up. Uh, It's neither sustainable nor workable. That's a big threat. Remember, Google's done it, though. Didn't Google do it in uh, Australia or Australia? Australia. They threatened it in Australia. Did they actually? That was a whole thing. Yeah. I think they worked out a negotiation. Yeah, Murdoch backed uh, down in Australia. uh, But I think it winds up, if you negotiate and you uh, wind up uh, agreeing on fees, then it means that the biggest players wind up... Working out their deal, I think, right? Yeah, because they get and the rest of us get screwed. The smaller players, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's uh, I understand why. I mean, yeah, I I I love that Facebook is threatening to do something they say doesn't matter much to its users. We're going to do this thing that doesn't matter much to our users. So there, and it's like Ah it doesn't matter much to users. Then why do why do you care? Why would your users? Well, they don't want to pay. Heritage news media, Canadian Heritage Minister, which is by the way a great title. I Mm -hmm. like that. Pablo Rodriguez said. Uh, Meta's decision to pull back from news is a threat Duh. <laughs> intended to persuade the government to make changes that would reduce the amounts the tech pla- oh it's a negotiation ploy it would re- reduce the amounts they'd be required to pay news organizations Rodriguez says it's disappointing to see that Facebook has resorted to threats instead of working with the Canadian government in good faith this tactic didn't work in Australia and it won't, won't work here I, I have to say, I'm a little bit on, I, I hate to admit it, I'm a little bit on Facebook's side here. It makes no sense for Facebook, well, okay, so how do you feel, Reed, if Facebook put your article from Semaphore, some, so Lisa loves your article, mm-hmm. posts it in her Vancouver home, or her Yellowknife home, posts it <laughs> on Facebook, do you think Semaphore should get paid? Because what you're going to get is a picture, a snippet, and then a link back to Semaphore, right? Yes. Semaphore is going to get the traffic ultimately. I Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of with you on this. I mean, I think that I, I worked at the information for, for four years, right? They're behind a paywall and they have no advertising, right? So if you click on that link on Facebook, you're going to hit their paywall. And, you know, that that's, that's what news organizations, if they want to have that business model, right, then they can have a paywall and, and it doesn't ultimately matter. But I think if you want to have the advertising business model, then you kind of want that traffic and you want to get that, that click through. The problem is I think historically like news organizations just became way too dependent on Facebook Mm -hmm. and on social media. And then it skews all the incentives, right? So I think the problem is more with like, with, I mean, I hate to say it like more with the news business and people just, you know, sort of optimizing these businesses to, to, for clickbait. And we've seen, you know, we've seen the trouble that that's gotten us into right mm-hmm. over the last 
five to 10 years. So it just, it's a problem, I guess, that goes beyond Facebook. And I don't think you can blame Facebook for the problem. Um, but I mean, it is, it, it does make sense to think about this and try to, and try to figure out, you know, how do we, how do we fix all these problems? Right. So I, I don't know if they're going about, about it the right way though. It seems like the internet has been hard on Rupert Murdoch and other newspaper barons. And uh, they blame the internet for the loss of revenue and classified ads, right? Mm-hmm. They blame the internet for the loss of revenue and display ads. So their attitude is, well, they ought to, they need to, they need to give us money. Uh, do you think it's different though for online sites like the information or semaphore? Or they kind of, are there more? Semaphore. I mean, the information and semaphore are very different. I mean, the information is just like, okay, we're going to, I think the information, I mean, it's the most pure. I can't get to the information right? if I don't subscribe. Yeah. I could see right. the link. And so, but you're yeah, probably so not going to get a lot of shared. Did you, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but. Well, no, that's the problem, right? Yeah. I and mean, that is the problem. Like I worked for the information. I, I loved it. Um, but I, we'd have these big stories and then, you know, you, people could sort of rip you off and not credit you because you are behind this paywall. And at, and at the time when I started there, 2015, I mean, people thought paywalls were insane. And then it became all the rage. Um, now it's kind of like, we're, you know, we're in this sort of weird sort of in-between area right now um, with newsletters and all that stuff. <laughs> um, but I, the Semaphore's business model is kind of in between. It's not like a it's not a clickbait social media business model. It's a it's more of a newsletter premium advertising model so it's it we're 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 sort of in between the information and like you know whatever some name any big online publication right um but back back to like the advent of the internet and the classified ads i mean newspapers could have just said we're going to charge people for our news for some reason in the 90s and early 2000s newspapers decided we're you know People are willing to pay us. They pay us to deliver this thing to their doorstep every day. But it, now let's just offer it for free online, which is, in hindsight, kind of insane. And I mean, I think that was the original sin, really, as as, as somebody who works in the in the business. And, I'll, and I, I will say, I pay four hundred bucks uh, uh, a year for the information, and it's well worth it for me. But I'm in the news business. Oh. Uh, I pay for Bloomberg too, which is. Uh, <laughs> Hurts my heart, but I do <laughs> uh, because I need, it's you know, that's part though. of my job. But also I'm very reluctant to share links from any of those paywall mm-hmm. services because no, I, I, and I don't pay for financial times and I just intentionally ignore everything they say because I, think they, I, I think, can't get in there. <laughs> I think the idea of gift links, which has come up, I've seen them at both the New York Times and the Washington Post where the idea is that you can gift a story as yeah. a subscriber. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great idea uh, because... Well, it, it, it's great in the sense that I read this cool thing. I want you to read it right. from from a news. It's also really great from a data gathering perspective because if you think that that someone on the back end is not tracking which articles get gifted most often, how many of those gifted articles lead to upsell right, or further right. engagement, like that's just a great data pool to act on. But I agree with Reeve that this points to bigger funding and profit model problems within journalism and within publications as a whole. And part of it is journalism is not considered a public utility or a civic utility. We don't live in a country where it has a lot of government funding. For example, Germany has publicly funded um, government funded journalism as, as part and parcel of their culture and their, and, and the way they do things we don't. And 
building traffic sometimes is the only way people and and also i'm sure we all know people who the only way they consume news is if someone else spoon feeds it to them hey did you see this hey did you know about this like your mom used to send you clippings now your mom puts them on facebook and it's foolish not to try to build that audience but i question why you would need to monetize it when there are probably other ways that are more reliable to make money than shaking down either the face Facebook as a distribution model or shaking down publications, which would absolutely take small or scantily funded publications out of the running and cause us to lose those contributions. I do. I mean, I worry about semaphore cause I really like mm-hmm. semaphore and I'm sure the Smiths know what they're uh, doing, but I remember uh, what was the, now I've already forgotten the name of it. The Politico had, uh, a similar uh, mm-hmm. news operation protocol, right? Yeah, which is folded. Uh, and I do worry that if 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 you don't have a paywall and you don't have a robust advertising business, I'm not sure uh, oh. how you succeed. I guess the Smiths know what they're doing. Pro- protocol, if you remember, laid off I think like most of their employees after the first couple of weeks. So we're doing better yeah. than that. At yeah, least. good. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think they also didn't have, um, you know, they, they didn't have the, uh, this is just from talking to people, friends who worked there, but they didn't, they didn't build up the business model, you know, side of the operation um, from the beginning. Right. And I think semaphore it's really well thought out and there's great people ben and justin have a lot of experience in this area Mm -hmm. and they know what they're doing i think and yeah totally it's i think it's very different yeah yeah i mean i mean obviously i'm talking my book as as they say Mm -hmm. um but you know i i think there's there's an interesting technology question in journalism which is like how do you how do you actually how do you rebuild what we're what we've sort of missed now, which is like these institutions, especially in smaller towns where you know, you, like, not the big cities that have the San Francisco Chronicle and those kinds of papers, but like, how do you rebuild those those community hubs of of great journalism um, that covered like didn't just cover city hall and do investigative pieces on corruption and stuff like that, but they covered the high school sports and the local businesses and all that. I mean. I know that's not a technology question per se, but, you know, in a way it is because, you know, there aren't, I don't think there aren't, it's not easy enough for local journalists who maybe are older, um, don't have the technological know-how to start their own subscription services. It's not very easy for them to do. And that's kind of what I'd like to see from the tech industry is like more, more thought about that. I mean, it's not going to be a. You don't think Substack and Medium and places like that are sufficient? There needs to be. So I think think that's how Substack started. Sorry, sorry. No, go ahead, finish read, and then we'll then Lisa. Mm -hmm. No, I think I think that was the dream of Substack, and it's kind of gone in this different direction. That's all I was going to say. I didn't mean to interrupt. They've gone for the big uh, high dollar uh, uh, bylines, obviously. Yeah, I mean, we love it. We love Substack, right? It's just not. It's not exactly that, right? It's not going to help the. You know the journalist on the street the line the line the guy the guy and gal covering the city council yeah. meetings too. well wasn't that the dream of patch fine. for a while patch yeah. oh, i still yeah. read patch um patch exists doesn't I, it? I still think I one of the biggest missed them, op- one of the biggest missed opportunities of the audis was um the gothamist empire because you had gothamist and laist mm. and seattleist and right. sfist and austinist and dcist and chicagoist why and, did that fail well what i think 
should have happened, again, missed opportunity, is they really should have just spun off and sold the different city verticals to different newspapers. And yeah, but you, the newspapers are history. Or they could have sold them <laughs> to – it's been interesting. LAist is now with KCRW, I think, um, a local oh. – and um, I know that Chicagoist was recently revived. Um, but it was from the news – from what I'm saying is from the newspaper perspective, they really should have jumped on the IST blogs and the audience because you had in those blogs – and full disclosure, I wrote for LAist and for SFist. Uh-huh. You had really smart, engaged staffs that were hyper-local and building out a phenomenal amount of coverage and it would have been great for the san francisco chronicle or the la times to be like okay we're just going to lift you and shift you you're not going to threaten newsroom operations you'll still have your metro reporters but we want you to keep working on that community building and that local feel where you are talking about nonprofits that are doing dog adoption drives every friday or you are talking about the taqueria that just launched or think because that's that's another part of we local have a news really too. nice local paper, but I yeah. we're lucky in Petaluma. Hey, Reed, is your beeper going off? Yeah. Is Liz trying to get a hold of you on Slack? Because the uh, <sighs> there's there, news. There's news. Oh no! Oh no! What's going on? Sorry. <laughs> uh, joint statement Probably. by the Department of Treasury, Federal Reserve, and the FDIC embargo uh, just lifted a few minutes ago. They are going to back all depositors. They're going to See, back. We were- all oh, there. That's what I said earlier. Right. Yeah. You there said that wasn't on the table. and <laughs> I was wrong. Uh, depositors, <laughs> this is from the press release. After receiving a recommendation from the boards of the FDIC and the Federal Reserve and consulting with the president, Secretary Yellen approved actions enabling the FDIC to complete its resolution of Silicon Valley Bank in a manner that fully protects all depositors. I presume this means beyond the ones with the FDIC right. insurance, beyond the quarter of right, a million. right. Depositors right. will have access to all of their money starting Monday, March 13th. There you go. That's tomorrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No yeah. losses associated with the resolution of Silicon Valley Bank will be borne by the taxpayer. Yeah, so this, this is, is very good that news. Was the, that stops yeah. it cold, right? No run on that the was bank. The, that, was the, another... that was the common sense thing they needed to do. Yeah. And they needed to do it now before the markets open in Japan and, you know, in Asia. So. Yeah. Uh, they just closed Signature Bank also, which sounds like it was in a similar place, so it'll get folded into this. It had uh, it had a, quite a lot of money. So at the end of 2021, it had uh, 20, $118 billion of uh, assets. It was closed uh, today by a state today. chartering authority. Yeah, so significant. So in the top, I don't know whether that is 50 or 40 or something like that, if, uh, yeah. if Silicon Valley Bank was so number a second 16 bank, or 18. a second bank uh, going yeah, down. Yeah, but similar. Sounds like some other thing. They put their money in the wrong kind of paper, but not didn't blow it all at, this, at the track. The Fed also announced it will make available additional funding to eligible depository institutions to help assure banks have right. the ability to meet the needs of all their depositors. So Easy. this is, yeah, this is very strong action uh, to to yeah. really prevent any further uh, uh, aftershocks. Yeah, well, they, they've analyzed the assets now, too. So they know when they say no taxpayer money will be put at risk, it means they know what's in there and they can wind it down on their own schedule or they can exchange it for other kinds of debt or what have you. So it'll, it's all going to be, it's, as we said at the outset, it's all rational minds that prevail. Yay. Now, imagine if somebody actually sold their uh, deposits for 60 cents on the dollar to some hedge fund. <laughs> The hedge funds are happy now. Uh, that's a good point because that hedge fund is going to be a hundred percent whole tomorrow. Um, hey, I want to circle back to the newspaper question, if you mm-hmm. don't mind. Yeah, sure. The local newspaper. Well, so I mean, 
whenever you look at the newspaper market today, you have to look back at 100 years newspaper ownership, largely controlled by families that dramatically shifted because of a combination of inheritance tax, bad planning, other factors during this transition to internet-based advertising with all these families taking 20 to 30% margin, expecting it as they're due, not going with the times, and then being sucked, you know, then letting corporations buy them out. And sort of, the, so the families, like the ones that own the Wall Street Journal, the ones that own the LA Times, all these other papers, the Seattle Times being one of the rare exceptions with still 51% family ownership, um, there wasn't a constant reinvestment. They sometimes had big newsrooms, but the, the families and the companies that owned these newspapers for decade after decade just had a, a monopoly on, on a kind of advertising. They expected 20, 30% margins every year. They spent the money. They did not reinvest it in a way to build a lasting journalism opportunity for the future when things started to look like they were going to go down. So when things got bad, even when the margins were still relatively high, they took the money, they sold it out, they they uh, saddled themselves with debt because of the buyout provisions, and that all got sucked away into the ether and all of those, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of jobs lost Um and that was a particular like blip in the history of news. Is that going to be the long-term thing? No, but there's a rebuilding period. You can't go from the hundreds of billions of dollars uh, that was that newspapers were valued at during their heyday in current dollars, and and then say after this whole transition, newsroom staffs uh, demolished, real estate sold off, um, the vestiges of papers existing. You can't rebuild from that foundation because the money isn't there from advertising. You have to find advertising in different ways and Facebook and Twitter and other networks took the lion's share of that. So at some point, you know, Facebook has lost its kind of hegemony. Things are changing rapidly. There could be new institutions that rise like Semaphore that figure out models that will succeed that aren't physical media based mm -hmm. and that can tap some of these billions and billions of dollars being spent for advertising that paper newspapers will, will never probably get back. I think if you're looking at models um, and coming as I do from B2B journalism at this point, we used to have what's called qualified circulation, meaning that before people mm. could get our print publication back in the days we made a print publication. Like e week and Mac week and all You those used to have to qualify yes. for it by yeah. listing what is your job title, how yeah. big is your company, and then you could aggregate that data and you'd sell it to people and they could then target your your reader audience yeah, with seemed like a, a lucrative business well what it's happened? it's actually still going and it's changed because what you can do now is you can build out custom webinars or you can even host events or you can have sponsored newsletters was there less interest in the paper magazine is yes. that what happened so executives the the just didn't want to receive yeah the and the cost and, and, and right. you still also had advertising you, you still also it. had advertising to float the cost of production right, right. and since people were reading articles online before they went to print anyway why are you paying money for something that people have already read good point but, Good you point. know, if you're talking about new revenue models for news, you're going to have to start taking a look at things where the I, the act of being informed and engaging with either newsmakers or news chroniclers is going to be as much the product as the, the news itself. Yeah. And you can do that either through here. You're subscribing. This is clearly part of your news consumption identity is you pay for this good and service. But you could also be you're somebody who goes to see uh, the Weekend Tech Live and you've, and you've paid money so that you can shout questions at these three while they talk with Leo or we're going to give you a webinar or we're going to give you an opportunity to sign up for a networking event or things like that. I think you're going to see a lot more of that with publications, especially trade, pub especially industry specific publications where tapping into industry expertise is as much the part of coverage as breaking news. 
And but I wouldn't be surprised just, if it went hobbyist too. Just to pile on, mm-hmm. uh, Ford says the next generation Mustangs won't have AM radios in them. Oh no! Oh no! Similar similar problem, right? Uh, nobody listens mm-hmm. to the radio anymore. Yeah. Um, but they do. I mean, they they do. But they, you know, as, as a long time. Now, retired radio hosts, Leo, you know. I mean, people do listen in surprisingly large numbers, but not in a way that's worthwhile. And in not in a way that's growing. And yeah. as I ask you, is there anybody under 40 who listens to the radio? I don't think oh, that's so. That's a great question. Yeah. I, don't, I haven't listened to the radio in, in years. Yeah, so what are you, pro, what are you defending it for? <laughs> I, uh, I listen to po- a thing called podcasts. Yeah. You might have heard of them. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them produced by radio programs. But I, I listen to yeah. classical music radio. Well, you're going to be happy, but we'll talk about that after the break. Um, I have to say, um, you know, one of the reasons I retired Mm -hmm. from AM radio, which I'd been on for almost my whole life, is uh, there was the revenue was dwindling. I wasn't I wasn't getting paid. You know, there really wasn't. So it's a very similar situation. And iHeart, who owned my radio show, Mm -hmm. uh, has moved dramatically into the podcast business Uh, and. Mm Apparently makes as much money, if not more money, in advertising on podcasts than they do on terrestrial radio. But well, I did think it was kind of, come to a sorry? kind of a mm-hmm. podcast have sort of tapered off in the revenue. Growth yeah, we're kind of suffering the there too. Well, it's a saturation uh, oh, point. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I don't. Right. I don't know as much about radio, but I just on the on the print point. Mm-hmm. I will say. I mean, worked. I worked the information, and mm-hmm. there were there were several articles that I wrote where. You know, I spend a lot of time, like months on them, mm-hmm. and they the the number of people who subscribed who actually like put down their credit cards. If you figure their annual subscribers, like more than paid for my salary. Oh, that's for good. that year. And I think, mm-hmm. like, oh, what that kind of taught that's me. Encouraging. And, yeah, I thought it was encouraging, and mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's a different. You know, it's it's the tech industry, it's business. You know, people can expense the subscriptions, blah blah blah. But it it did teach me that like readers know what quality is. They mm-hmm. can tell when you spend a lot of time and, you know, gave them new information and they are willing to pay for that. And the, the price they're willing to pay may vary based on the type of, you know, thing you're writing about. But it, it made me think that there are there are subscription, maybe hybrid subscription advertising business models out there that can really, you know, work if people have the technology, if they're willing to roll the dice. I mean, you know, can happen. Yeah. We're also talking about this because we're people who a are willing to pay for this content mm-hmm. and B we're in a position where we can. And we make it. Um, <laughs> Let's not forget we're on one the supply of the, side as well. One of the perils mm-hmm. of one of the perils that I think we should, we should bring up is that you do have people who are on constrained budgets and they should be able to Absolutely. have access to the same great content. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I think one of the things we need to look at is what kind of technology can you put out there that allows library users and school children and retirees and other folk to be able to use a library account to read a story in Bloomberg Business Week or to read a story That's in the Wall point. Street Journal. I like that idea. Um, simply, do libraries buy those subscriptions? They do. Yeah. Um, some yeah, li- yeah. some libraries have them. Libraries are chronically underfunded, though. So this right. is it's it's. I mean, we're not going to solve all the 
we probably could. We're all very smart. Um, we're not going to solve the problem today. But thank you for that vote of confidence. What we've managed to do is is identify that there's something innately broken in the model with how we fund news. Um, access to information is something that cuts across all income lines. And oh, just buy access is an answer, but it should not be the default answer or the only answer we have to how do you fund good journalism? How do you get into everyone's hands? And for all that, I really don't like the reliance on social media to boost traffic. Like I feel like chasing after traffic is more a black art than a science and, Oh, do this for engagement, do that for engagement is a bad way to do journalism. I do think you have to acknowledge that for some groups, Facebook and Twitter are the, are, are, are their curated headline feeds. And we have to be sure that we're not cutting these people off from a source of information or news. That's a very good point. Uh, We always have offered free versions of, Almost all of our shows. It was all of our shows. And now that we have a club twit, we have a kind of a patronage system. Yeah. Uh, we do have some stuff actual, that's behind a paywall. Mm-hmm. But, I've got an actual, uh, what do they call it, ATV antenna? What's the uh, the digital receiver? I have a physical one that I put on my roof and a uh, uh, Ethernet-based receiver, uh, partly to watch Jeopardy, frankly. <laughs> mostly mostly broadcasts, mostly broadcast, not found online. And uh, it's fascinating to, to scroll through and see the sheer quantity of, uh, of my stuff pillow that's being ads. sent over. No, no, there's there's a lot of high-quality uh, uh, stuff being broadcast, major networks. What, so you're networks. watching broadcast television with, a, with an antenna. Yeah, I mean, I can Well, you're I in, you're in Seattle. A, I can't yeah, get broadcast although, here in yeah. Petaluma. I uh, can't. I, Glenn, I did the same thing. I did, I did the same thing recently because I was paying $70 a month or well, something. Right. Basically just watching like the football game that was on the local. It was on for free. And, yeah. Yeah. and incidentally, yeah. in higher quality. Yeah, we haven't, we don't have cable yeah. anymore. It is, so we it is. antenna for the, the local stuff. We yeah. gave up you cable can, uh, 20 years ago, 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. And but you live in a metro. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's true. Well, we, but it's well, between and, service stuff we can get from digital and streaming. Right. Um, we're in a, we're in the TV shadow. So initially oh. we couldn't even get many DV, DTV broadcasts. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the towers got higher and moved around. There's more repeaters or something, but no, it is. I forget. I'm sorry, I forget about that because a lot of rural areas are are shut out. You're in a rural area per se, but non-metro. No, areas we are, are in a rural area. Metro. Yeah, yeah, we don't have. Served, a, I can get channel fifty. Rural? I get one channel, a UHF channel out of Santa Rosa. Oh, channel fifty. That, that's the there's that's no, the mom no, pop kettle channel, yeah. isn't it? It's <laughs> exactly. There's no mom There's no Jeopardy movies. on it though. That's mm-hmm. a, <laughs> so, so, are you the, are you is San Francisco the Sutro Tower the closest antenna? Yeah, and it's too distant. Oh my gosh. It's too distant. Uh, interesting. That's okay. uh, Reed, are you in the Bay Area? I'm in Marin, so oh, I yeah, yeah, okay. I'd point, yeah. I'd, so you I'd can get Sutro for in Marin, but you go a little bit farther yeah. north. That's amazing. All we get is KCSM. Right. No, no, I, I don't know what it is from Santa Rosa, for Channel Fifty. I used, I used to live right below Sutro Tower. It was it was fun to hike. I've been on top of. I climbed up Saint Sutro Tower. You know, there's a mattress and a shack up there. I don't know why you'd want to spend the night. <laughs> I kind of do. Though. Is that what that's for? I thought you were going to say, I used to get great signal there. I used to get a, so the signal was so good. You know, the signal was so good, it burned my hands. I came down, and I had spots on my hands. I said, I told Tim, I said, Tim Pozar, who's the chief engineer, brought me up there. Tim Pozar. Yeah, you know, Tim. What, oh, what are those gosh, spots? He said, oh, those are RF burns. Don't worry about that. And so far, I haven't gotten cancer. So now they make you wear a mesh 
metal yeah, mesh yeah. suit to go up there because the RF is so strong on the toe. On the the funny part is Leo can now look at a bag of popcorn of unpopped kernels and they pop. pop, pop, pop. The, it's, the, it's the only benefit. That's the well, side see, effect. I'm imagining like benefit. those metal mesh suits like you were when you were diving with the sharks too. It's just so like that. Yeah. You can basically Seriously. go from Sutra Tower right over to, to the Farallones. <laughs> from Sutra to sharks. Faraday cage. A Faraday cage suit. It is. It's a little cool. Faraday cage suit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, that's neat. That's weird. Wow. Wow. That was a wide-ranging segment. Let's take a break. <laughs> I don't. I, we went from Meta and uh, and Canada to shark suits, but anyway, uh, we will take a little break and uh, come back with more with our great panel. It's really nice. First time on Reed Albergati, but it's like you've been here all along. I thank you so much for joining us, technology editor from the excellent Semaphore. It misspelled, but that's okay. S e m a f o r. What is the? That's is right. there an e on Semaphore? It- it's no, it's with a it, yeah, and with it's with a ph, and there's an e on the oh, end. it's p h o r e. That's the yeah. English spelling, but I think the idea is that it, it's a word that means the same thing in a bunch of different languages. Ah. So ah. you know, you can kind of spell it, it also, however you want. You can't so trademark an English word like that either. But if you spell Not it semaphore, anymore. as the people at Cool Tour Movies or something figured out, you can ah. uh, you can trademark it. Well, I love yeah. it, and it's uh, and I. And what's the story with the um, the tint on the page? Is there a story there? Um, yeah, <laughs> I think we we want to be different. Um, I think is the idea, and it, it's good. And I think it kind uh-huh. of like I'm not the one who came up with this, so you know I can't. I don't know if I can explain all the the theories behind it, but I mean, it kind of gives you that it, it it's new and we're online and it's, it's a, different. You know, yeah, it's native, but it, but it yeah. also gives you this sort of feeling of like newsprint. a newspaper, yeah. like like old yeah. school and. You know, which I th- I think we are. I mean, we're we're all former newspaper journalists, I think, mostly. And you know, it's a it's a you know the business model is not exactly like it, it's a little it's a little bit like the newspaper model, like the you know sort of boutique advertising and that sort of thing. I love and, it. I love it. Yeah, you've done a great uh, job. And I take some credit you. for your own page. Credit, I, I don't know if you know <laughs> this. We had somebody I can't remember who it was on from Semaphore. And uh, at the time, your globe was rotating the wrong way. Uh, the sun was rising in the west. <laughs> and I mentioned it. And before the show was over, the little globe in the top of the page started oh my gosh. rotating. From, it went the other way. It started going Le- the other Leo, way. Leo, I've right? got I have breaking news from 1893, which is that that's when the Financial Times launched with its pink pages. Pink pages. It was yeah. a way to differentiate yeah. itself. So yeah. it's as an old newspaper as a, as a printing story an old newspaper person i'm always uh, thinking about that and so it's a great it's a callback to when newspapers might tint literally tint their pages to uh be pink or yellow to sort of stand out from the from the dull gray yeah the here's the financial journals. times it's still a little pink yeah. online not as pink as the actual paper right. edition and for a long time the san francisco chronicle uh, its oh. date book section was oh, pink. Don't Remember forget that? the sporting green page. Yeah. Green oh, the too. sporting green was green, oh, and the date yeah, book yeah, was pink. Mm-hmm. Poor little die in the paper plant, and uh, there's Bob. Schoenkel. But now it's so easy. You just change your uh, HTML or your CSS, mm-hmm. and you got uh, you got a little green. I like it. It's good. I think, it's good. I think nice newspaper websites. Like somebody pointed this out to me, and then once 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 it gets pointed out to you, you'll see it everywhere. But like. They all look the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you could be yes. in, in mid. If you can't see the masthead, like it's hard yes. to tell whose website you're. I on. know where we are when I'm at Semaphore. That's that's. So a really I wonder how many consultants like just made bank by going from like news organ news, pa- newspaper to newspaper. All, oh, we've proven engagement on this. This is what people want. And some yeah. poor editors like, yeah. yeah, fine, just do well, it. <laughs> it still goes on. 
ZDNet changed and got a whole new redesign, and then CNET did almost the same redesign. Mm. And so there's it's there's still it's still happening. I think it's all going on still. Uh, wonderful to have you, Reed. Welcome to the family. It's good to have you here, Alicia Smizer, longtime mm-hmm. member. I thought maybe there'd be Girl Scout cookies. So, <gasps> would you like me to pop off about what's going on with Girl Scout cookies? Yeah, what's going on? Oh, oh my gosh. So I ordered four boxes. I don't like raspberry. I'm happy to deliver some if you want me on next month. There we go. All right. That's fixed. <laughs> but it is the time. Last time you were on, you said, well, no, no, you have to wait till the spring. Yeah. So originally, <laughs> so originally what was supposed to happen yeah. was Girl Scouts of Northern California were like, we're going to have our cookie sales start in March because that yeah. should help with any supply chain issues since Girl Scout cookie sales in oh, 2022 yeah. were chaos. Oh, wow. Um, there were huge supply chain issues. Um, the baker that was responsible for Girl Scouts of Northern California, which is Little Brownie Bakers, actually was like, oops, we stopped making cookies. Sorry about that. Leaving their Leaving the Girl Scouts, a volunteer workforce, I hasten to add, leading the Girl Scouts to have to tell angry customers, nope, sorry, you're not going to get your tagalongs anymore. Nope, sorry, we ran out of samos, right? Right. That was last year's disaster. And so our council decided, all right, we're going to push back the starting date to March because this way, this gives the factory enough lead time to make all of the cookies that we expect we're going to sell. Yes. Um, the factory still couldn't get it done. And as a matter of fact, owing to a one, two, three combination of a labor shortage and massive weather events in Kentucky where their bakery is located and a breakdown of their logistics chain, they have managed to not only have delays in production of nearly all of their cookies, they have also sharply curtailed our online orders. So the only cookies we're able to sell online this year are the Thin Mints, the top... um, yeah, I know. The Thin Mints, the Samoas, and like one other I'll flavor. I'll take a Samoa. Right? What about Raspberry Rally, which apparently is so, John's favorite and it's brand new. So here's year. the deal. Raspberry Rallies were supposed to be an online-only cookie. Yeah. Um, oh. And, and the idea was to promote use of the website because 10% of the Girl Scouts' total sales are completed through the website. 50% of our sales are now placed online. 10% are online-only. And the idea was, oh, Raspberry Rally will help bump up mm. the numbers on that. The site was supposed to go live on at midnight on March 8th. However, again, owing to a glitch in Kentucky with the baker, the site went online at 10 p.m. on March 7th. And by 1032, and sold out immediately. By 1032, every last box of Raspberry Rallies that had been produced <laughs> oh, were sold out. It's not exactly it's a failure. Swift so it's been, it's been a little bit banana pants. Next time, get Ticketmaster to yeah. sell them. But long story short, in two weeks, I'm going, I, I actually am grabbing like a group of eight, six, grade girls we are unloading a truck next weekend to get the Ooh, cookies wow. That's how right. I and i will be bringing course. home cases of girl scout cookies and dispersing them for the next month after that so i'm so happy it's, to be able to bring them up to Pebble so john them. no Amazing. cookie for you and john i promise you you can have a box Amazing. of raspberry rallies on me <laughs> there you go. and this when we're talking about girl scout cookies we are not talking about gsc an indica-dominant hybrid marijuana strain made by crossing OG Kush with Durban poison. We were actually blocked from selling in front of dispensaries. Because of this? No, they're, they're <laughs> like, you shouldn't sell Girl Scout cookies oh. in front of dispensaries because it's a controlled substance. But who's hungrier for Girl Scout cookies? Right? We were like, it's sales of opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've got a story about Lisa's daughter. Mm-hmm. But I promise to tell the outset yeah, if this is yeah. the time. Might not be. Hold it. <laughs> No, tell it, please. Well, so so years ago, I knew this guy named Phil Michaels, who's an editor at Macworld at the time. Now, is that, uh, he's still at Tom's, right? Yeah, he's, he's the managing editor of Tom's still, Guide now. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Great guy, Phil. Wonderful mm-hmm. Hawaiian shirts. Uh, I only worked with him at, at uh, Macworld. No, great guy. And then there's this person named Lisa Schmeiser, who I knew through the Incomparable Podcast Network. I was on podcast with her. Thought, what a terrific person. How neat. And on Facebook one day, I see each of them has had a child. I'm like, this is great news. And then slowly, it's like your eyes cross. I like, can see where That's this is the same going. child. They're married. Neither. It had never come up. Never come up in my circle. This was implied. I was like, they both named their kid a, Trixie. Like, what oh, a coincidence! One Beatrix. What a coincidence! <laughs> was, my eyes went. Okay, it's one child, not two mm-hmm. separate children. Yeah. And by the way, she's great. She was here last yeah. time you were here, and oh, is absolutely adorable. Yeah. And not a baby anymore. Either. No, she's a, a sixth teenager. grader now. It's unbelievable. Oh, oh my gosh! Yeah. I know. Oh my That's god! Great. Yeah, she's yeah, just. She's she was great when she came by last yeah. time. In fact, I'm I was so, a little disappointed because I thought your husband and daughter they, would they're be throwing, here. They're throwing an Oscars party. What's that? Oh. What's the Oscars? What's that? Yeah. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? So. We're going to, no, I promise you, because you're going to have 45 minutes home. Mm-hmm. If we end the show in 15 minutes, you might make it. <laughs> no, no, you know, Tell this is more start... fun. I don't, have a, I don't have a dog in the race. Fire the up Oscars the Tivo. Fire whereas... up the Tivo. Yeah. Uh, we'll get your And Oscar there's no tech later. company that uh, is nominated for Best Picture, right? No. Isn't no. Netflix yeah. in the running? Is, isn't Netflix? Oh, were they? I can't remember. I thought for Netflix something. Was that I, I was thought, Banshees of Insurance a Netflix saw. photo? A, a no, Netflix, no, I, no, I'll have to do some. Research. I thought there was no streaming. Maybe service. There's right. no, but there's no code of this. Steven here, Spielberg so. won because yeah. he was the guy who said you shouldn't be allowed in the Oscars if you don't put it in a theater mm. like a normal person. Uh, all right, we'll take a break. Come back with more. Amazing stories in just a little bit. Our show today brought to you by the password manager I use and you should use, Bitwarden. Okay, you're going to say, Leo, you told us that about last past three years ago. I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm sorry. I moved. You should move. Uh, Bitwarden, it's the it's open source. That's a big, huge selling point. They're the only open source cross-platform password manager you can use at home at work on the go trusted by millions uh i switched steve gibson has switched over i tell you where open source really is an advantage in this area because they're more nimble for instance uh significant updates to the key derivation function encryption pbkdf2 we've been talking about that a lot on security now it needs to be a high number oasp uh, was recommending 300 iterations. Bitwarden is now upgrading all of you's new Bitwarden accounts. 600,000 KDF iterations. That's the that's a lot safer. I moved it to two million, which Bitwarden's fast enough on almost every platform out there. I mean, if you can use it, you probably it's fast enough to turn up to two million. But I got even better news because it's open source. Uh, a guy named Quexton, who is a Security Now listener, heard Steve say, you know. Instead of PBKDF2, we should be using memory-hard algorithms like S-Crypt or Argon2. He wrote an S-Crypt implementation, submitted it as a pull request to Bitwarden, wrote an Argon2 implementation, submitted it. After consultation, they decided, let's go with the Argon2. Argon2 is now available to Bitwarden users. As soon as you get version 2023.2 or later, I turned on Argon2, and it gives me great peace of mind. It's little things like that that open source make possible. A guy can contribute it. They can analyze it. They can look at the code. They can make a decision to add it. And now it's it's in your hands. That's awesome. Of course, with Bitwarden, all the data in your vault, end-to-end encrypted. 
By the way, that's important. All the data, what sites you visited, when you visited, all the data is encrypted. Okay, that's not wasn't the case with LastPass. Uh, you can add security or passwords with strong randomly generated passwords for each account. You know you should be doing that. Never reuse passwords. Never, ever, ever. But you can go a step further with Bitwarden. You can use the username generator to, to create unique usernames for each account. Or unique emails. They work with five different email alias services so that you can generate a new email account for every single account, including our other sponsor, Fastmail. That's fa and, and Firefox. That's fantastic. There's also uh, other new features in the February release. Master password security checks. New users who create their accounts on mobile apps, browser extensions, and desktop apps can now check known data breaches for their prospective master password using HIBP. That's built in. You can log in with a device is now available for additional clients. Login requests can be initiated from browser extensions, desktop apps, mobile apps. Share private data securely with coworkers across departments or the entire company with fully customizable and adaptive plans. We're moving over to Bitwarden for the business as well because, frankly, we need to. We think it's the only safe option. Bitwarden's teams organization for the smaller businesses, $3 a month per user. Enterprise, $5 a month per user. What's great about Bitwarden is you always start with that basic free account. So everybody in your company creates a free account. They've got that now for all their personal passwords, then joins the organization, and now they've got both. And and I have talked to Bitwarden. They said our free accounts are always free and free forever because our business model doesn't rely on making money on free users. Now, I decided I was going to upgrade the premium account. It's only a, less than a buck a month. It's 10 bucks a year. So I did that just to support them. If you want to bring the whole family organization in, up to six users, all premium features, just $3.33 a month. You need, everybody knows, you need to use a password manager. The one I use is the only one I trust, Bitwarden. It's the only open source cross-platform password manager that can be used at home, on the go, at work, trusted by millions of individuals, teams, and organizations worldwide. Windows, Mac, Linux, iOS, Android. I've used the command line now. One of our callers said, tell me about the command line. Use the command line. It's amazing. Works with your YubiKey. Everything. It's fantastic. I am... If you if you haven't done it, get Bitwarden, free forever, across multiple platforms, unlimited passwords. You can get started also with a free trial of the Teams or Enterprise plan if you're a business, or get started for free across all devices as an individual user. Bitwarden.com/twit. Bitwarden b i t w a r d e n dot com slash twit. I've tried them all. I've used them all. It's it's the one I use all the time. Bitwarden, highly recommended. Thank you, Bitwarden, for your support. We really appreciate it. And for uh, the rest of you, people watching, if you do go to Bitwarden.com, make sure you do the slash twit so they know you saw it here. Bitwarden.com slash twit. <clears throat> Back to the show. Trixie? Yes, Beatrix. Yeah. Trixie. <laughs> Trixie like to her intimates, Beatrix is Beatrix to everybody else. I like Trixie. <laughs> Uh, Apple's CEO, Tim Cook, and Jeff Williams, COO, have apparently overruled Apple's divine design division. This is according to Mark Gurman. Uh, against the wishes of the company's design team, they're going to release the first-generation VR headset 
this year. This is the Financial Times, not Mark mm. Gurman. Sorry. Um, the the timing of I'll say it like the Times would. The timing of the mixed reality headsets launch has apparently been a cause of considerable contention at Apple. The company's industrial design team cautioned the oh boy <laughs> devices in the category were not yet ready for launch and wanted to delay until a lightweight AR glasses product had matured several years from now. Mm. Tim said, eh, no. Uh, Apple's operations team wanted to ship an early version in the form of a VR-focused ski goggle-like headset, uh, probably to get developers on board. There's also rumors that this first one, which will be probably announced in June, the WWDC will cost upwards of $3,000. Um, interesting. Speaking to the Financial Times, former Apple engineers who worked on the device described the huge pressure to ship. Glenn, this, you cover Apple. This is unusual for Apple, I think, to have this kind of dissent within the ranks. No? Well, for us to, yeah, for us to hear about it, I think. I yeah, they're, think they're usually the last really thing. tight on leaks. I'm wondering who's, yeah. who's ag- who, whose agenda is being carried out with this story is my question. Like, Yeah, when you get like, this much information out there. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah, I, uh, I could see if you really thought this should not be released. Yeah. I don't want to have anything to do with it. You might go to the Financial Times and say, look, guys, you know, this mm-hmm. isn't ready for prime time. You might reasonably say users should not pay $3,000 for this, and I want them to know. Does it mention in the story who this is for? Like, who do they think yeah. no, who do they think is going to pay $3,000 for this, and what are they using it for? Does it mention that anywhere in the story? They, the only thing they said is the company is expecting to sell only... A million units during the first year. Yeah. That's, to whom for what, all though? Developers, reads, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I you know, there's going to be a point. I, I am very uninterested in VR. I mean, it's sort of both personally, but I think also I don't believe uh, substantial use case has been found outside gaming. And even then it's got a, uh, yeah, it feels like a continued limited use case. Yeah. So um, AR, well, yeah. but I mean, as a, as a broad consumer applicable mm-hmm. technology that could sell eventually hundreds of millions of units. I don't think it's consumer. I Mm -hmm. think there's a lot of industrial applications. Uh, Oh, absolutely. No, there are compelling uses that they're so niche they don't talk about them. There's tremendous things you could do with it from a uh, a design. uh, To me, that's that's the also-ran. That's Google Glass. That's Google saying, well, you know, they're still used in industry. That's uh, it's a segue. It's a segue. Remember yeah. the segue was it's going to transform transportation everywhere. <laughs> it's like no, but it's really great in warehouses and for meter uh, meter Se- uh, and readers. for security people. <laughs> yeah, and right. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's so, the same thing with like Microsoft Hololens. Like my favorite, also a yeah. flop. Well, my but my favorite use well, case for that is NASA. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. look at the army, which yeah. spent bil- a billion dollars and decided uh, not yeah. to use it. Yeah, because it's, yeah. it's nobody wanted early. to wear it. It was making yeah. people but, vomit. But, I'm totally excited about AR, though, and I have been jumping up and down about AR for years, yeah. and it's the less sexy partner, but I'm like, anything that doesn't overlay the world. So so my wife is deaf in one ear, and she uses a uh, a bone-anchored hearing aid, which is paired with her phone, and so she has the superpower of being able to listen to music in her head, right, Ooh. through Bluetooth, and take calls in her head. And I'm like, I want this augmentation. Like, it's great when it's a supplement, when it helps somebody. And I look at AR as an incredible combination of supplementation for people who need it and augmentation as a tool for the elderly, maybe for the young, 
for people in all kinds of industries, but also just as a, as a daily life thing, I could see the utility of augmented reality enhancing what I do already. I, I can so, dig your wife's point of view because I'm mm-hmm. good looking in my head. I can hear how good looking you are in my head. Yeah, in my amazing. head, I'm really smart. I was really uh, surprised. Well, I, I was really surprised when I discovered that one of my favorite use cases for my Apple Watch is when I'm in a strange city and my wrist buzzes oh, to yeah. tell me when to turn left or right while I love I'm, that. while I'm walking. Because That's way, augmented reality, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because yeah. this way I'm not yeah, hauling out a map. I'm not looking at a phone. Yeah. I can just Good do a point. quick glance down. I don't look obviously touristy, which can be a concern in some yeah. places. Um, I'm just, I'm still stuck on this Apple thing. I'm stuck on who is this for and what are they doing with it? Like, well, that sounds I, like. I, I kind of don't care about the palace intrigue. What I'm more, well, what I'm more interested in is, is if you're selling a million of these things, to whom? Why? What's, what's about to happen? Why did Tim Cook do it? And yeah. uh, the headline for Patrick McGee uh, yeah. and Tim Bradshaw at the Financial Times is, uh, Tim Cook bets on Apple's mixed reality headset to secure his legacy. I don't know. It all this all sounds kind of. I mean, there've been there've been so many leaks and stories the last several years about Apple's on the verge of this and that. Yeah. We know they have a million things going on in the lab, and for all we know, this is Tim Cook gives the go ahead to spend another five hundred million dollars on this over the next five years and not take it to market this year. I I, I would not eat a augmented reality virtual reality headset if I'm wrong, but I I have a. I mean, John Gruber goes into this in great detail and very fun, very amusingly. It's like everything is so ugly. Apple's not going to release an ugly headset yeah. until it looks like something Apple would release. It will not come out. And so I think that's a great – that's a huge um, – Wait, so you block. think it won't come out? You think actually this thing isn't going to come out this I year? I don't think it's. I don't think it's a real thing. I don't think the the hardware power uh, combined with battery life and compact uh, size, unless it it have to be such a niche thing. There's no way they could sell a million of it. I could yeah. see them having a de- an early developers kit that was not designed to be mobile. That was actually designed to be anchored to a studio Mac or a similarly powerful Mac. So so Apple has done that before, where they've released hardware early to developers that's a advanced look at six months a year sometimes longer um so i can see them saying this is our hardware uh technology preview to give developers a chance for something that's coming in the future and we're going to sell this to developers essentially on loan for x months which oh, is so this is interesting model of that. so you you disagree you think the financial times is wrong saying that they're going to the come sources. out with that this year. Yeah. I don't have the sources, but yeah. it just it doesn't pass I, yeah. my smell test. Yeah. I wrote about this a while ago, Glenn, and I actually came to the same conclusion without having the sourcing, but I, <laughs> I thought that the, the um I thought the AR headset was definitely not going to happen mm. anytime soon and they would probably shelve the VR headset as well. And I've been really surprised to read these stories saying that it's definitely coming out because I for all the reasons that you outlined but I do, and I think AR, like an AR glasses, in the sense that like they look like normal glasses, yeah, um, is a great. I mean, that's a great product. But I think the technology people, doesn't exist, is the problem yeah. there? And I, I yeah. looked into this. I went really deep on this years ago. Mm. Um, I did this story on on Magic Leap and what they were actually right. trying to build, and you know, th- it turned out they weren't. You know, it was sort of like they they don't have it. You know, um, was was the conclusion. And I talked to all these people in the industry. I talked to people who had worked on the HoloLens, for instance, which I agree is an amazing piece of technology, but it was never going to, it just wasn't the form factor that was going to take off for consumers. People who worked on the HoloLens told me like, AR is just never going to happen. And I'm like, never? Mm. And like, never. (laughs) It's just, it isn't, it isn't possible. And 
I think there is something to it. I think in so, we've gotten so used to technology sort of progressing on this predictable exponential scale with Moore's law that we forget sometimes that like there are actual challenges to the physical world. Like for instance, getting light from somewhere <laughs> over here into my eyes. And it's just, it's hard. Well, I like okay. That. Uh, do you agree, Lisa? You think Apple uh, will not ship anything this year? I do think there's a very strong point to be made that so much of Apple. That they shouldn't. Well, but it was about, there's so much of their corporate identity and so much of their price point justification comes around how, how well they nail aesthetics and design. Yeah. Mm. Cause when you pay for an Apple product, you are effectively paying for the design experience. They don't want to release a Google glass or yeah. even a HoloLens. So, um, again, a lot of the story feels like palace intrigue to me. And I'm, I'm wondering but if Mark Gurman also thinks they're going to release it this year. He said the same yeah. thing. I, I just don't. He didn't, he didn't have the con- internal conflict. How does it? So how does it fit? What we know about Apple is we know that they've been pivoting more and more of the revenue towards subscription services, towards re- recurring, repeating revenue. Right? Like this has been talked up in almost every quarterly call where they're talking about, oh, we have this many more subscribers for Apple TV. Apple Music is coming along, repeating services, steady stream of revenue. Their hardware is moving to a point where it supports these steady sources of revenue this isn't to diminish the fact that they still sell boatloads of phones and tablets and watches and computers but they're looking at a different revenue mix and the other question i have no answer to based on this story is where does that headset fit into their plan to lock you in to recurring monthly revenue like what what product or service do they have that this headset amplifies or extends the user experience on or what service are they planning on putting out? Because right now I don't understand who this is for. I don't understand how this sets up an opportunity to bring back repeat customers for upgrades, especially if it's three bloody thousand dollars. You can buy you can buy like two MacBook Airs for that. Yeah. And and so this like, is an interesting. Use them as clamshell maracas, and you'd probably have a more rewarding user experience. <laughs> I am saving this this clip, and we're gonna <laughs> and we're gonna go. we get to December thirty first, twenty twenty three, yeah. and there uh-huh. has been no VR headset. You guys are gonna get big gold stars. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody and their brother says Apple's doing this. If I Apple would- does go ahead, if this FT story is true, and Tim Cook's gonna force it, is it a flop? It's just everybody wants Apple to have the next big thing, and they, and I think there's including a, Apple. There's, yeah, there's a me, but there's a media focus around it outside of the sort of mm-hmm. I would say people who cover Apple and technology media, people who actually understand this. Not it's not to insult other reporters, but people would like a narrative that Apple has a new big thing every X year, like the iPhone. They had the iPhone. They had the iPad. They had the watch. And it's like, yeah, but each of those is a refinement of a different kind of idea around the same subject. So they're not going to have a thing that changes a category and becomes a, a multi-billion dollar item every three or four years. It may, you know, what if Apple never had, and I say never, like in 20 years from now, Apple never had a product-defining category like the iPhone, iPad, or watch, which was an existing category uh, again. What if it's feasible? Would they will they be still going to be worth twenty trillion dollars in twenty forty three? But speaking of the next category, I mean, yeah. it seems like AI is turning mm-hmm. out to be this new, category. you know, the new platform. Much and that's to where much to the chagrin of Meta, which has put all of its <laughs> pushed its chips in on uh, on VR. Yeah. 
Uh, Microsoft right. has pivoted. Microsoft was thinking Hololens were, was going to be it. Now they're all about they, AI. Well, they, they, they had both things they, going okay. on. Like I yeah. went up to I went up to Redmond shortly before the pandemic and spent two days in analyst and press briefings and. Literally a day and a half was us talking to different people from their researchers to their business intelligence team to um, their, their Azure team talking about what they were doing with AR all the way down from the level of here's how we're looking at how we collect training data and how to detect bias or how to identify good data versus bad data all the way up to here's how we're going to build out a suite of tools so that people can augment and extend the way they use data up to here are the assistive bots and whatnot we're going to have like they've been working on this for a couple years already like the chat gpt partnership is opportunistic apple's been and working on vr for it, seven but, years according to ft yeah but physics well, I mean, is not seven like, years ago seven years is like nothing basically in mechanical engineering and physics like 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 reed was saying you have yeah. to take into account like the realities of the physical world and it's super easy to do stuff on a phone because the phone is a super closed environment in a lot of ways. It's small. It's held in your hand. You download things to it. You just need a network connection. Like VR, it's you in a bunch of wildly variable physical spaces with God knows what kind of connectivity. But Reed, and, didn't we think the, the iPhone was going to be a flop? And oh, you know, we've <laughs> seen this. There's no so way. This I is was going to say, yeah, I think that's I was going <laughs> to say that I think when a everybody knew Apple was coming out with a phone and they had this idea in their head of like, you know, basically like an and like an iPod that could make phone calls, right? Mm -hmm. And it turned out that they had this touchscreen interface that was so revolutionary. And I think I think there is a chance that there's some they have some trick up their sleeve with this VR headset that that makes it you know cool or interesting in some way. Maybe it's a maybe the the resolution or the the um, screen is so the the I guess the display technology is so good that you could just spend all day in this thing, right? I mean, that's the big limitation now with um, with Meta. It's like, you don't want to be in there more than a half an hour to an hour, right? And <laughs> I, I think if they have some way of making it so that you could sit and do work on this thing and have like, you know, <laughs> your graphics all over around you and I, I don't know, I mean... I just imagine I, if they we come wouldn't... out with this in like March 2020, Apple accidentally ships um, a VR goggle system that has to be plugged in to an existing computer. They would have sold a billion of them. Oh, Didn't matter how Lord. bulky it was, how ugly it was, could have had primitive graphics and they would have made another trillion dollars. To embroider a little <laughs> bit on Reed's insight... Um... One of the reasons the iPhone took off is it was very fundamentally social because you could take photos and you could message people and it turned into, again, like the computer you keep in your pocket and shifted how we understand computing and how it's innately a social activity. And VR, if they're going to do VR and make it a social thing where you want to hang out and spend time because you're having communal experiences or you're having a meeting or something, that could be the killer app. Um I don't know how they'd do it. Do you think we would have... We, I don't work at Apple. Do you think we knew, though, what those synergies yeah. would be in 2007 when the iPhone was I just was thought announced? they had a great uh, browser. I was like, I, I had just come off... I had just come <laughs> off in 2006 trying... Yeah. yeah, I'd tried every smartphone available oh, for that with any yeah. kind of Mac thing in 2006 yeah. uh, for Macworld Magazine and uh, was like, wow, these all stink. Nothing's good. <laughs> They're all using WAP or they have their Nokia was the best WAP. thing out there. And then January 27 or 2007 rolls around, you go into a briefing in San Francisco mm -hmm. and Apple says, sure, you can play with it. And you're like, great, pinch, expand, browse. <gasps> like, 
okay, this is it. Because people just wanted to, I mean, this is what is fundamentally weird to me about technology and everyone like, oh, we need uh, NFTs, Web3, AR, whatever. Like people want to browse. They want to send email. They want to write a document. That is most usage. And, and gaming is this much broader, but like inchoate boundary thing. So it's like the iPhone did all those things. So everything else has been an extra bonus on top of that. Admittedly, it would, the the jackpot. The it would be It would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. But they did it before in 2007, mm -hmm. and I think that's yeah. why people are saying, well, maybe there is some secret sauce that Apple mm. could add to VR. Well, I think well, one of the gifts... But if of not, the they got a flop on their hands, and that's not good. This is a well, big... Like, like one of the Pixar. things that Apple does well, though, is it puts together a beautifully designed thing um, that does XYZ, and then people still find stuff to do with it that expands its market and its utility. Same thing for Twitter, mm -hmm. right? They well, didn't it know did, all well, the things you It did it with do. the phone because, again, you know, once you're like, ooh, I have something where I can talk to people. I, I would can, I can take photos. I can send photos. Every great tech product, that's been the secret yeah, to its success. Here's a we here's, didn't know we were going to be able to use VisiCalc on our Apple IIs. To get, <laughs> to, to get back to the Apple thing for a minute there, what, um, and this is purely, this, this was actually covered in the New York Times a couple months ago, and I can corroborate it with anecdata. Um, I don't want my kid to have a phone yet. We're not, I, I don't want her to have untrammeled. Yeah, I don't want her to have untrammeled access to the internet. I don't want her to have untrammeled access to social media. But I do want to encourage independence and let her run around the island with her friends. You're at a very difficult chat, right? time right now because well, she's still, she's on the edge of innocence. Yeah. And you want to keep her there. Well, Apple Watch has been great though because we got to watch with with the with, oh, we got to watch where she with can, the kid the kid feature so you could she can set call it up. us she can call uh -huh. us and it's, solves it's, the problem and it's on a parent and you thing. know where she is mm -hmm. and all of her friends have it so she's got group chats with her friends mm -hmm. she doesn't feel like she's missing out socially she gets that autonomy and independence and we get what are effectively that's training just us. lucky though that you there was an well, intermediate device at work but like that's the yeah. thing is Apple didn't design the watch for that like, they didn't know. Yeah. Yes. And it was pretty evident. They were like, we're, we're doing this for health. We're doing this because yeah. it ties into the rest of the system. But people were like, okay, this does exactly what I need to do for this completely um, the unanticipated watch is a great scenario. example because it, and, at first it was mm -hmm. like a sidecar for your Apple. It's like, what's yeah. the point? Yeah. And they slowly found, and it was different for everybody who mm -hmm. used it, that sweet thing that yeah. So that serendipity is what Apple needs for this VR yeah. thing. And that's the thing is, is if you can find that where there are the use cases that people, oh, this is fantastic. But if you can find that, that thing where people are like, oh, this actually fulfills a social or a vocational need in a way that's much more elegant than my current setup, like that is where you'll, you'll get your, your million headsets. Here's but. a. A parenting tip, too, is <clears throat> we did this with my younger kid, who's now uh, almost 16, and they had a very simple phone that we basically left in the house. I know, crazy, right? And uh, and we let them buy a watch, but they asked us to buy a watch. We let them use their own money from dog walking, mm -hmm. so uh. we gave them permission to spend their money. That's a parenting tip, just mm -hmm. tell you, and yeah. uh, worked great for a few years. Yeah. I keep giving my kids Apple Watches or trying to and iPads, <laughs> and they don't want them. They don't want uh, nothing to do with them. I think, so. so one killer, like, when you... When you talked about this, like, what is the killer? I mean, I ha I'm looking over at my office now. I just got, like, monitors all over the place because I can never have enough screen real estate. Imagine strapping those to your head, Reed. <sighs> Life would be different. Oh, my God. The, I the Iron Man dream where, like, in all of the Marvel movies and they have yeah. all the... See it all. I, I absolutely if, want if you, that. That would be amazing. If you need monitors, right? Like, if you mm -hmm. could just put this thing on and you don't need a monitor anymore, like, that alone is probably worth the money right because really? hey yeah i think so because you could then you sort of like you have your workspace around you and then 
What if somebody sneaks up behind you and bonks you on the head? You, you obviously you have a rear view mirror. Oh, you have too. a rear view mirror. It's like that's got to be part of it too. Is the that's a new that's that's your services that's your services revenue right there. You pay for somebody to monitor your rear view camera. But I mean, if you could just take that thing off and then you have this nice clean desk and you know you could do whatever on that. I mean. I think that makes sense, but I am very skeptical that they that they have made that because just based on the technology that's out yeah. there, it doesn't seem like it's not it's not quite there yet. But I, you know, it could be wrong. Wow, this is great! This is the first time I've had a panel where they said, "No, that's not going to happen." <laughs> in, in, in the face of all of you know these articles from German and the Financial Times and all everybody it's else, just, no, that's that's not going to happen. It's so just physical reality. Remember, remember yeah. Bloomberg had the, the that weird article a few years ago that said like the Chinese are mm-hmm. sticking secret chips and everything. And <laughs> and when it came out, I read this and said, this doesn't make physical reality sense to me. It doesn't make manufacturing sense to me. Hardware, it must be me. I'm missing something. Then you got these expert opinions, including by people who were quoted in the article who said it's not really exactly what I was. They only, only quoted this part. They didn't quote the explanation. And then no other news organization of any kind has ever replicated anything Bloomberg has reported. So I know Bloomberg's a reputable organization. The people involved were all reputable, but it has that smell to me here of where I'm like, this doesn't match my understanding of current manufacturing capabilities combined with Apple's marketing thing. And I think, I mean, Reed, you're in the same boat, Lisa, in the same boat. We're all, we're all, I don't see how they get a battery screens, the technology, have it even if they work in it for years, we're just not there. Maybe in five years. But, Has you know, anybody reporting cars are on this bothered to go romping through the patent archives to see what Apple's been patented? <laughs> no, I'm serious. They like, patented everything. Like, I mean, they, yeah. they have, like, they look have through the so patent. many patents. Like, look yeah. through the patent records, and then the next thing you do is you take a look at... What are their manufacturing loads in China? Because I know this is how other Apple product news has been broken is people figure right, out. Right. Like, has anyone tried to do this yet for the, for the presumed million headsets that... Oh. that well, a yeah. million is, is a low number for yeah. compared to iPhones, right? Yeah. And that's oh, yeah. one of the problems with iPhones is they can't they can't do anything too crazy on an iPhone because they have to make so many of them, right? And maybe yeah. they don't want to make a lot of these. So maybe yeah. they'll price it really high and I don't know. Listen, Lisa, here's the logic. If they were going to ship that this year, it is already March. Yeah. They are manufacturing yeah. that now. If it were to be out in time for Christmas, there yeah. would be reports of tiny displays and other ancillary things that would have to be made by third parties, plus yeah. the battery demand on something like that. There would be leaks. There's no way they could be producing. They would literally have to be manufacturing that like now. It would be being assembled in the next two months or something to ship in September or October. And aren't there usually just an awesome. army of Apple bloggers who are like all over this yeah. where where, yeah. where they're like, oh, we found out from somebody in Shenzhen that they're working on. But maybe if they're only making a million of them, it wouldn't make as much of a dent. No, I mean, remember, no. they make hundreds of millions yeah. of iPhones. No, but they, they got to source two very specific per unit mm-hmm. uh, screens for it that have very, that are be very, you know, high resolution. There's, there's just all the stuff. No, it could be that they're geniuses, they, mm-hmm. uh, and they clearly are in the marketing sense, and they set up a factory someplace that is totally dedicated to making a prototype. They dropped uh, hundreds of millions of dollars mm-hmm. to building certain things and taking resources from elsewhere and repackaging them so we don't know that they took screens that are usually made into bigger screens made them into tiny screens. But it just doesn't, yeah. Make Nothing a good about point. This story makes sense. Oh my gosh, this is, <laughs> this is great. I can't wait to bring this to the... Uh, the panel on Mac Break Weekly and have them throw stones. I at don't you guys. want it. They're not making. <laughs> They're not it. gonna make, make it. It's crazy. You sound like Dvorak. That's nuts. Nobody never make that. That that Gruber guy is going to write a column about us. <laughs> yeah. Actually, us he's 
<laughs> he's pretty bearish or bullish on it, I should say. No, bearish, Everybody sorry. thinks it's going to happen. And I agree with all of you that every piece of evidence we have is that VR is not something people want. It makes 11% of the population nauseated, which is a not an insignificant problem for any consumer product. Um, I think that maybe if Tim Cook is forcing this uh, against the better judgment of its engineers, this could be a huge mistake for Apple. But if it's only a million... That's not very many. Maybe they need to get developers on board so that in three years when there's an AR headset, they've got a market. I don't know. A million is $3 billion if it's $3,000 each. It's not a small amount of That's money. That's true. It's a business. Know, which means their, their expense is a billion and a half, $2 billion with yeah. their margins or, or well, less. Well, they can afford they can, that. They can afford Well, and they've already invested. No, it's true. They've already invested billions. I, I mean, yeah. we know Apple has things in the lab that would make our hair curl because right. it's so cool and interesting, mm-hmm. and it's not productionable it can't be produced right. in a efficient way yeah. so we like know a car. Doing this. yeah yeah the car, tiny yeah, car. Yeah, say, the hasn't car. apple been doing automotive stuff now for yeah. years a wearable years car years. this is great though i mean i swear to god you guys are going to look like geniuses at the end of the year when it didn't happen and every i swear everybody else says oh, oh of course they're doing it. Or, or we're going to look like steve Ballmer if it does happen yeah, right uh, yeah there's the biggest yeah. hit there's a downside I'm, I'm kind of i'm feeling good about steve Ballmer because because his his recent and bathrooms in the stadium thing like actually oh, hey, identi- yeah. it identified a user pain point and like he leaned right. into it and i i don't think that's i don't think that's a bad I move i think reed's talking about the part where he said the iphone <laughs> Never going anywhere. Oh, that part. Right. That, yeah. was, that no. was the reference. Thank you. No, I'm here for, I'm, I'm here for new Balmer. You might be right. You might be right about bathrooms, but he was wrong about the yeah. New, classic, yeah. classic Balmer was too salty, but new Balmer, very serious. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> Let's take a little break because uh, there's a lot of little stories. I want to get them mm-hmm. out of the way uh, quickly. But before we do that, I want to talk about our great sponsor, Colide, K-O-L-I-D-E, a device trust solution that solves a problem a lot of businesses have unsecured, insecure, dangerous devices accessing your apps. Collide has some big news. If you're an Okta user, Collide can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance. Collide patches one of the biggest, the best, the most best, worst, I guess, holes in a zero-trust architecture, which is device compliance. I mean, think about it. Your identity provider only lets known devices log into apps, right? Right? But just because a device is known doesn't mean it's secure. In fact, just ask LastPass, <laughs> right? The DevOps guy had access to the S3 buckets. He also had an out-of-date Plex. Bad guy was able to get in and disaster, reputational business disaster for a company. Plenty of the devices in your fleet probably should not be trusted. Maybe they're running out-of-date OS versions. Maybe they've got unencrypted credentials lying around. Maybe they're running an out-of-date version of Plex. If a device isn't compliant or isn't running the Collide agent, it just can't get in. It can't access the organization's SaaS apps. It can't access the other resources. The device user can't log into your company's cloud apps until... They have fixed the problem on their end. It's that simple. I mean, wouldn't it have been awesome if this DevOps guy had gotten a message from Collide saying, hey, we'll be glad to let you in, but first, could you update your Plex? Problem solved, right? A device will be blocked if an employee doesn't have, let's say, an up-to-date browser. And the best part of this is the end user fixes it. So it doesn't burden your IT team. The end user is going to remediate the problem. They're, they they learn what's wrong. They learn how to fix it. They fix it. 
and it drives your fleet to 100% compliance without overwhelming your IT department. With that, Collide IT teams have no way to solve these compliance issues or stop insecure devices from logging in. With Collide, you can set and enforce compliance across your entire fleet, and it's completely cross-platform. Macs, Windows, Linux, Collide's unique. It makes device compliance a part of the authentication process. So when the user logs in with Okta, Collide, the Collide agent, alerts them to compliance issues, prevents unsecured devices from logging in. It's security you could feel good about because Collide puts transparency and respect for users, that's really important, at the center of their product. To sum it up, Collide's method means fewer support tickets for you, less frustration for your end users, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. Collide, you got to get this, K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash twit. Learn more, book a demo, collide.com slash twit. We thank them so much for their support of the show. We love Collide, and we encourage you to try it. And please, if you do, do us a favor, Collide, K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash twit this was a fun week this week on twit such a good time some amazing guests we made a little movie for your enjoyment watch you have a sales staff selling the unique value what the hell was that <laughs> miss stacy you should mute when you do stacy was posing sorry i was i was just making why were you scratching don't scratch in the wind scratching your windscreen just after a certain point in time you lose me and then i'm like what's this dot here let's see what it is previously on twit this week in space we're joined by the king of science awesomeness, Bill Nye. I want to find evidence of life mm-hmm. on another world while I'm still alive. That just would mean the world's to me. Does it have DNA? Right. Little Martian microbes, little Mars probes. Are they a whole <laughs> nother thing? Do, 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 do. iOS Today. Rosemary Orchard and I are joined by the one and only Shelley Brisbane to talk about her book, iOS Access for All. Security Now. We are going to encounter a mystery and solve it. Ah. When I read from a Chick fil A. Ah. Data breach report, <laughs> which disclosed that 71,000 Chick-fil-A account-holding customers had had their accounts breached. I was skeptical. Why would some random hacker be going out of their way to compromise the accounts of Chick-fil-A customers? Why not Chase, Bank of America? I mean, Chick-fil-A? Really? To it, it's what's for dinner. <laughs> After that show, I had to go out and get a bucket of Popeyes. I admit it. I admit it. I admit it. Uh, Didn't go to the Chick-fil-A, but, you know, had to have something. Uh, The great Steve Gibson and a great week. Thank you all for uh, being a part of us. Uh, And also a special thanks to our Club Twit members who make so much possible. We wouldn't, for instance, have This Week in Space if Club Twit members hadn't supported it in the early days, we can't launch new shows because they don't have a big enough audience. They don't have advertisers. It costs us money. And the $7 a month you pay as a member of Club Twit makes those shows possible. We've got a lot of stuff in there that we hope someday we can make public hands-on Macintosh with Micah Sargent, a hands-on Windows with Paul Thorat, the Untitled Linux show with Jonathan Bennett, the Giz Fizz with Dick D. Bartolo. I can go on and on. Stacy's Book Club. 
the club makes that possible. You also get access to a Discord that is second to none. It's actually the best social network I've ever been a part of because these are all great people, all Twit listeners. And then, by the way, the conversations aren't just about Twit shows. They are about all the other things geeks are interested in, from comic books to coding to cooking to ham radio and pets and photography, science, software, sports, and travel, and on and on and on. Hang out with us in the Discord. Get ad-free versions of all the shows. <coughs> support development of new shows. And get the Twit Plus feed with some stuff that no one else gets any other way. It's a simple thing. Join Club Twit. Just go to twit.tv slash club twit. I won't harangue you. I thank you for your support. Now more than ever, we really need this uh, support. It really helps us a lot. Twit.tv slash club twit. So you all got here uh, on time, even mm -hmm. though the clocks, for some reason, mysteriously in the middle of the night changed. Is this a medieval thing? No, actually, it's not. It's from the 70s. But it feels like this is just some sort of medieval torture. Are you, are you, do you agree with me? Should we stop this insanity? Yes. 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 I have a, I have a five and a six year old. So, oh. yes. Oh, See, they don't yeah. know. They no. didn't get the message. No. 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 I think, Mommy, I, daddy, it's six a.m. I feel like we should make the eight kids better video for you because, like, once they hit puberty, <laughs> oh they'll God. sleep in. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> They still hate the clock change, though. I bet you Trixie's not a fan. Yeah. Oh, God, watching her stumble sideways out of the room at 10 08 this morning was really funny. 10 uh, 08. Oh, my God. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. The American Academy of Sleep Medicine says the switch to daylight saving time, which we just under, underwent this morning, mm -hmm. carries many health and accident risks and is misaligned with human circadian biology. Uh, they want to move to permanent standard time. Yeah. Others yeah. want to move to permanent daylight time. Now, I'm, I'm glad you're here, Glenn, because it's easy for people in Florida. Marco Rubio has a bill. Mm -hmm. It's easy for people in Florida to say, yeah, let's just let's stop this because they have a lot of sun. But you're up in the north where if we went north. to daylight saving time, your kids would be well, you, your kids would be going to school in the dark. Well, they go in the dark. I mean, we, kids go to school in the dark now if they were going to school. A uh, mm -hmm. whole other discussion. No, if they were going to physical schools, um, one has graduated. Uh, the We get in Seattle, it's, the light comes up in the uh, winter at like, I don't know, the sun comes up at, what is it, like 8 something a.m. Mm -hmm. and it goes down at like 4.30 yeah. and we have a hill nearby. So this doesn't fix that twilight's problem. Twilight's 3.30. You've got right. eight so hours of a daylight. Short day. That's all you get anyway, period, no matter so what. Our, our kids used to go to school. They'd get up in the dark. They'd come home sometimes in the dark. And it's just, that's just life. In the summer, when daylight savings kicks around, like I don't mind if it's offset by an hour. We get uh, you know 18 hours a day or something. Mm -hmm. So it works out here. 17 hours a day. We don't get 18 yeah. hours. That would be, we'd have to be a little further north for that. No, like the strangest thing was being in Paris in June and it not getting dark mm. until after 10. Well, like we went for the Women's World Cup in 2019 right. and it didn't get dark until like 1030 at night. It would was... you be in favor of summertime or wintertime? Which one would you like to make permanent? It's easy, by the way. The U.S. time zone is standard time, mm -hmm. right? Whatever it is in your time zone. But that's our, that's an official time zone. If you wanted to make it saving time, I think it, that's a little more complicated, right? Because that's yeah. that's changing our time zone. Yeah, some parts of the United States don't change their time. Arizona zone. doesn't. Hawaii, doesn't. Hawaii doesn't. Yeah. 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 Co uh, counties in Indiana, yeah, if I remember right. Yeah. Counties in Nevada. That was weird because like I my first wife lived in Ohio, right over the border, and you'd go over, you'd mm -hmm. go a mile, and the clocks would jump back an hour. Mm. It was very weird. Mm -hmm. Let's just yeah, all figure this out, can't we? 
Could be in China where there's one time zone for the entire country, <laughs> which is historically problematic. Or Spain where they, because of the fascists, they set the time the wrong time in World War, before World War II, I think. You know, Generalissimo Francisco Franco, he's at it again. So, do we, so yep. if, we, if, we've, got, if we've got statistics on like... If it's, if it's bad for your health, or if it leads it to, or if it leads to heart attacks, crashes. Wasn't there something about like more kids getting hit on the way to school? Yes. Yeah. Like just yeah. pick pick a time. Just pick a time. <laughs> all right, we're no all in agreement. I, I, I particularly like that we changed the time so that older uh, clocks that had built-in daylight saving time broke, and that also for two weeks we're out of sync twice a year. Oh yeah, because because uh, we good. extended it. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. that's ridiculous. Yeah. I was I was arranging a call for uh, Pants in the Boot, the language podcast I do over at uh, mm-hmm. The Incomparable, and we had people from. Uh, it was during a daylight transition, and we had someone in New Zealand and Sweden, and we did manage to use a world clock and get everybody in at the correct time. But we were across uh, five time zones and two different crazy. daylight saving standards. Galia, who lives in Israel, doesn't have this problem, but she notes that mm-hmm. Arizona. Doesn't do daylight savings time except for the Navajo reservation, which does, except for the Hopi reservation within the Navajo reservation, which doesn't, which is like oh. having a freezer and an icebox and a heated house. It's math. It's too hard. Let's just stop someone, the insanity. Someone in the uh, Discord is posting gifts and reactions. Oh, we well, got do you lots think of actually gifts. The, the post-pandemic, like everyone working from different places, will mm-hmm. will accelerate that too? Will we'll push people to move toward one time zone? Oh, that's interesting. Because we don't go outside anymore. We don't even know where the sun is. (laughs) One world, one time. You know, I'm not against the idea. I mean... I have an editor who lives in Newfoundland, which is actually like a half hour ahead of um, Eastern Standard Time, too. And one of the things I've ended up using a whole lot in Outlook is the ability to display multiple time zones at once. Mm. So Just so I can try and schedule meetings and not really... Uh, impact disproportionately the people who live in the UK yeah. and the people who live in Newfoundland um, or or me, frankly, on the West Coast. <laughs> Technically, I think we should all be using sidereal time, so it's depending mm-hmm. on where we are when the sun is noon overhead. That's it's right. It's always automatically calculated by our watch. The there you go. Offset, so then all of our appointments we change by a minute every well, day. I, I, I guess that our own zone. this comes back to the eternal question, does this need to be a meeting or can it be an email? Yeah, yeah. Well, it would eliminate a lot of meetings, I can tell you. Uh, Gigi Sohn, this is sad. This is not good. Gigi oh, Sohn, man, yeah. this is very frustrating. Uh, the currently the way it stands, the FCC has uh, five commissioners. Well, four commissioners and a chairman: two Republicans, two Democrats, and a chairman, usually of the party of the current president. In this case, it would be Democratic. Uh, Congress does not want to approve Biden's nomination for the Democratic commissioner, uh, Gigi Sohn. They fought. They fought for months. Sixteen months. Her nomination has been stalled. Oh, She's finally withdrawn, which is. A, a loss for all of you listening because she understood net neutrality. She was fighting for the good fight for us, not for the telecommunications industry, which is, of course, why, you know, certain members of Congress decided and and cable and media industry lobbyists decided to hit below the belt and attack the fact that she was gay. And, you know, it's uh, it's appalling. It's appalling. It also means that there's a 2-2 split, which means a lot of the things that we would like to see the FCC do to make the world a better place mm-hmm. won't happen. 
Thanks, Joe Manchin, among other people. Yeah, Joe Manchin. The, uh, well, it's also uh, thanks to the influence of money in politics because yeah. a lot of billboards were bought in states where Democratic members of Congress were in, you know, purple states where mm-hmm. their seats were kind of at risk. Uh, so Mark Kelly of Arizona mm-hmm. is against it. Um, uh, let's see, there's, a, I think, a Nevada uh, mm-hmm. member of Congress who... Uh, didn't support it and you, you if you don't get those votes you can't get the nomination it's, through it's just so frustrating especially if they put lena khan in as the chair of the federal trade commission i'm like the the distance between Gigi Sohn and lena khan in terms of like where they are on the political spectrum how they align with biden's positions on regulation it's very small uh, Gigi's absolutely qualified she's all the history we know all about her we know where she stands um she doesn't i mean the problem is when people don't have vested interest uh that makes vested interest very unhappy and i i think that's that's what happened among the groups opposing Gigi Sohn was the fraternal order of police oh. who criticized her rights her t- her tie to the electronic frontier foundation her ties yeah. because the eff oh. is fighting to protect encryption mm-hmm. and the Fraternal Order of Police wants law enforcement to have access to encrypted data. And since the EFF is fighting for it and she is somehow associated with it, uh, the Senator uh, Jacqueline Rosen from Nevada, the Democratic Senator from Nevada, also didn't vote for her. Mm-hmm. So this well, is, and, and Biden didn't put, you know, Biden do, didn't do a full court push on her. He didn't, I don't think he, he didn't support her in the way he his should administration, have, yeah. yeah, his administration didn't see it as, an, as important a fight to get her in place and he should have because i think it affects um you know the role of the fcc has overseeing media it affects uh, some of his infrastructure plans too because yeah. that has to go through the fcc yeah. and yeah, especially silly. since he's pushing to make more tech infrastructure defined right. as infrastructure infrastructure as we yeah. understand it good there is some good news coming out of the white house uh the what? administration has uh proposed a new security framework which interestingly would hold software companies liable for mm-hmm. security issues with their software. They've been pushing for this since they got into the White House. Yeah. If you take a look at the first year of the Biden administration, almost every month there was either an executive order or a meeting with somebody where they've been really focused and consistent on the messaging that companies need to be held responsible for data security. Data security is a national security issue. Companies have an obligation if they're going to operate within the U.S. to uphold a reasonable standard of security for both nation mm. and citizens. They've been hammering this message home for years, for, for, for two years now. And, and this honestly just feels like more of the same. They also now say that cloud security is a huge problem. Yeah. Uh, government uh, is saying they're embarking on the nation's first comprehensive plan to regulate the security practices of cloud providers like Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and Oracle uh, because they say if it's disrupted, mm-hmm. it could you know it could create a large, potentially catastrophic disruption to our economy and our mm-hmm. government. It would take mm-hmm. the internet down like a stack of dominoes. <laughs> so that's I think it's a sensible. really broad stroke. Um, yeah. There's a lot of regulatory issues in cloud computing that I think we're going to see both state and federal governments and diplomatic organizations grappling with for the next few years. Because in addition to just the, the data security in the sense that we don't want bad actors 
hopping onto our hosted cloud service and, and sucking down everything, you're also going to have industry-specific compliant issues along the lines of our industry requ- industry requires all conversations to be recorded. Right. These recordings have to be secure. Right. And you have to be able to guarantee the methods of security up to our country or our state requires that this data has to be um, kept secure and private. And you have to make sure that individual users privacy is respected in all cloud transactions. And what we've seen from companies overseas is the art, especially the e, the EU is on this, like, you know, um, like, 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 like cheese on a pizza um, <laughs> where they're, they're arguing it doesn't matter where the data is hosted, what matters is if people within the EU's jurisdiction are affected by how you're hosting the data and what the privacy measures are. And since one of the chief attractions of the cloud is you don't have a one-to-one, the data's in this physical location, I'm in this physical location, that's it. We're genuinely looking at something where the U.S. is going to have to really coordinate aggressively with other countries on what does it mean to 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 what are, what are the minimum security requirements? What are the minimum minimum privacy requirements? What are individuals' rights when it comes to their data in the cloud, or their privacy in the cloud, surveillance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? This is again, I feel like the Biden administration is kind of very carefully and quietly building up a comprehensive national security policy, and they're doing so in a way where how does this advance the interest of something like Microsoft, which has been talking about this for? seven or eight years now, like, you know, <laughs> how can we advance the interests of all of these U.S.-based cloud providers who are operating in the U.S., in, in the EU and Middle East and, and you know, uh, uh, in the Southeast Asian markets and, and make sure they can do business without, without a, a, a lot of friction? A good thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. We need it, right? Yeah. Okay. I think it's with security, it's about incentives, you know. Mm-hmm. I think... I think these companies, it's just, it's, it's viewed, security is just viewed as this like loss leader, right? A, a cost center, I think, yeah. um, until, until it isn't, until it takes the company down or, yeah. you know, something along those lines. But it has, I mean, it's been a real source of, like you said, national security issues mm-hmm. and, and information flowing to China. And I think companies haven't really been bothered by that so much because it doesn't affect your quarter to quarter. It hasn't affected their bottom line yet. Like when it's more expensive to not comply than it Mm. is to pay a fine, then they'll, then they'll come then they'll comply. But I think this might actually be part of what the Biden administration is doing too, is beginning to be like, okay, how can we make this hurt? But at least we're going to yeah. ban TikTok, yeah. and I think that'll solve the problem, if you ask me. <laughs> Where will we learn our dances? That's right. They won't have any, there's no data. No yeah. problem yeah. now. It's all yeah. safe. Uh, how many, show of hands, how many of you have a video doorbell? I do. I have the Google yeah. Hello, not yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Reed, do you have one? No? Got a ring. Ring. Mm-hmm. And Glenn, you got a ring or a... a what well, I, have an in, I have an encrypted end-to-end bloody oh, I don't have a doorbell. Up. Oh, you don't have a <laughs> doorbell. Kinda, you know what? That's what I should get rid of. I have a doorbell. Who needs people to ring the doorbell? Forget <laughs> I, I the doorbell. I got a doorbell, doorbell but it, it doesn't have a camera, a but message. I have a camera nearby that uses HomeKit for end to end. Oh, there you're a little safer. Mm-hmm. Politico story, wow, gave me kind of um, uh, yeah. shivers. Mm-hmm. Michael Larkin, uh, business owner in Hamilton, Ohio, uh, last Thanksgiving got a call from local police. They said, we see you have a, f- a, a ring doorbell. Uh, and we're surveilling a house in your neighborhood. Can we have the footage? He uh, His doorbell was among 20 run ring cameras 
that he had in and around his house and his 21. business. 21, but it was business too, right? Mm -hmm. The police right. said they were conducting a drug-related investigation on a neighbor. They wanted videos of suspicious activity. Small thing between f two hours, 5 and 7 p.m. Yeah. one night in October. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, I see the same car driving by 12 times in that two hours. Let me send you the video. I think you're on to something. He thought that was all the police would need. They asked for more footage. Now the entire day's worth of records... And a week later, he got a notice from Ring itself. The company had received a warrant signed by a local judge saying, we want all 21 cameras. We want all footage, indoors, outdoors, even from your business, which is not even near the house. This is and they're going to give them, the, and, they, and they're going to hand it over because it's Ring. They said, well, mm -hmm. fine. You know. <laughs> well, no, they, got a, they didn't fight it, right? They got a, they they got fight a search it. warrant. Yep. Right. Uh, it's yeah. I mean, it's uh, well part of Amazon. Just to point out, mm -hmm. and Ring has also added end-to-end -end encrypted data, so you'd have to uh, you have to go to Amazon. Subpoena. You yeah. have to go to, well, you have to go to the individual to get them to retrieve it. Ah, you have to actually okay. serve a, a warrant on a person. So had he turned on encryption, he would have had, had to enabled. give him the footage, not Ring. Yeah, conceivably, and I would imagine that would be a more complicated process. I think the police can more easily get a judge to say, right. Company X has video we need. It happens to be owned by an individual. Then this individual, we need to go to their house and compel them with a court, with a judge-signed order to deliver us stuff. At which point, you know, is that person, I mean, if it were me, am I suddenly thinking, do I need to spend $20,000 on a lawyer to defeat a subpoena about my, if I actually felt principled about this and want to do that? I don't know. It's still a big burden. Yeah. Just a word of warning. And there's nothing in there that says how long they can keep the footage no. or Ooh, what they have to disturb. Well, this, this. I gave my footage to a cop once. They came, they knocked on the door mm. and they said, you know, there was a van driving around and they were, they asked a kid if they wanted to get in the car. And I thought, yeah. well, if there's ever time. So you to wanted to help. Your yeah. 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 Like, okay, here's the footage. And it turned out it was like, a parent of one of the friends who actually was like knew the girl, but she didn't recognize him, and you know, it was all fine. But, uh, but and that's know. Where, you yeah, know what? I think that's a reasonable request, and I think it was good that they asked you, and you said yes. It's fine. I mean, we don't. I don't. It's not that we don't want to help the police investigate this stuff, mm -hmm. but that's no, really no. overreaching to say, "Oh, just give us everything you got on this guy." He wasn't even like a everything forever. Yeah, well, yeah. It's just how, often how? it turns out it's not. It just isn't that yeah, useful. That's you know, right. That's the other side of it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, good news. YouTubers can swear in their videos again. Gosh darn it. It won't be demonetized anymore. I guess they heard uh, from YouTubers saying, hey, what are you talking about? You very strong. What the F are you talking about? De demonize, not demonetize. Mm -hmm. Demonize. Don't demonetize. And finally, mm -hmm. Apple's finally... Finally going to give us the replacement for Prime Phonic a year and a half ago. Uh, I love classical music. Oh. A year, I was a subscriber to this classical music service. Apple bought it. Within a week, cut it off. I got a refund, but I said, well, Apple said, don't want to fear not. We're going to add this. We're going to have our own app. A year and a half later, finally, March 28th, Apple Music's classical app will launch. It's about time. I don't know what took them so long, but... Uh, it looks pretty good. Metadata. In, in, I'm, I'm going to guess it's a metadata. It's all the metadata. Yeah. But they had it from very carefully. Mm. Okay, fine. <laughs> what a great panel for all of the stories we had this week. Reed Albergati, thank you so much for joining us. Now that you've been here and, and you know it's not so uh, scary or horrible and it's only 
eight hours of your life. You'll come back, I hope. Yeah? Definitely, definitely. I'll mm-hmm. plug in my laptop next time. Yes. It'll be great. Anything you want to plug? <laughs> Thank you. Speaking of plugs? Um, no, you talked about Semaphore. I mean, I, I would just add that our newsletter is free. Um, sign up for the tech newsletter. I think you'll like it. And uh, that's that's about it. Yes, I do like it. It's very good. And I also actually go to the website and, and read stories in your beautiful uh, colored paper. So Our yellow site. Your yellow yeah, site. I, great. I, I Easy on it. the eyes. I'm really pleased. I was a little nervous, you know, because... Uh, Ben and Justin were a little cagey about what they were up to. <laughs> Turned out great. And I, and they hired one of the best tech reporters out there. It's great to have you oh, uh, on the you. show. Thank you, Reed. I really Really fun. It. Thanks Good. for having me. Lisa Schmeiser, next time you got to bring the fam. I guess they're yeah. having fun right about now as yeah. the red carpet uh, I'll bring begins. them next time. I'll bring cookies next time. <laughs> I, did I say anything? I guess I did. <laughs> getting on a plane. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Lisa, of course, is at Jitter. No yep. Jitter. No Jitter. Sorry. Yeah. No Jitter. And I'm excited to report that Enterprise Connect, which is a show that I'm also the co-chair for and covers the communications and collaboration space, um, we are held live at the Gaylord Palms in Orlando, Florida from March 27th to 30th this year. But we also have an option to stream the entire event virtually where you'll have playback. So if you, if you feel a little bit iffy about traveling or you're like, Oh, this is the first I'm hearing of this amazing show. You do have the option to go virtually. We're going to have full coverage on no jitter for the whole week. We're there and post show synopsis and analysis for the week or two after as well. Very nice. Orlando, Florida, two weeks from today. You can find out more at nojitter.com or enterpriseconnect.com. Yep. So this is the big annual thing. It's a big annual thing. Yeah. Is it fun? I loved it. Um, Last year was my first year in person. And what I really got excited about is you get everybody from folks who make it their mission in life to figure out how to wire hospitals for the best Wi-Fi everywhere well, and yeah. it's it's astonishing to, to talk to people who get deep in the weeds with how is this going to work in radiology how is this going to work up down in pathology how is this going to work in NICU and they'll explain all of the different considerations they have that was great and then you also talk to people who are responsible for migrating 200 year old companies onto a, a unified communications platform and they'll talk about all right my challenge was how do I make sure people can get access to records that have been stored on a mainframe um it's just a really great opportunity to talk to people who are super passionate about supporting people's ability to collaborate and communicate. And they recognize that there's so many different obstacles to doing it and so many different conditions in everybody's everyday working life. Hear from your enterprise peers at the leading communications and CX event, Enterprise Connect, coming up in two weeks. These are the folks who are figuring out how to keep people working virtually and how to to do hard work. And to hear them them talk about the considerations they have. Nice. um, It's it's really, it's it's, it's nice to get outside of the, oh, I sit on my laptop and report all day. It's nice. It's nice to get out and talk to the folks who are... So nice. Making it possible for me to so sit on my laptop to- and report all day. <laughs> <laughs> so glad to have you in here. Lisa Schmeiser, editor-in-chief at NoJitter.com. And Mr. Glenn Fleischman, shift happened big time. Tell us about it. Well, uh, we, you know, uh, Marchi Mushari wrote a book about keyboards that uh, turned out to be 260,000 words and 1,216 pages. And we said, I wonder if people will like this book. Would they want to pay, say, $150 for it? Uh, turned out over 4,000 people said, sure. Uh, so our Kickstarter campaign, we'd hoped to sell 
you know, like 2,500 copies. We were aiming for 350 ultimately. We thought that would be a great outcome and uh, finished at $750,000 wow. plus some change. We're going to print maybe 6,000 copies. I don't know. We have 4,500 or so committed. Um, we'll, we'll probably sell them all out. It's a big book. And as part of it, he and I are going to go to Maine where the book's being printed at a family-run, multi-generation business and uh, be on press for six days to 10 days 18 hours a day, well, 16 hours a day, working with press people and uh, making sure it comes out right. So it's a beautiful be book. Too. You sent me the preprint, uh, and it was just gorgeous. And I love the images, so many great images, <laughs> including this one, a 1987 per- parade in East Berlin oh uh, of the of a socialist computer, the VEB Robotron PC, and the young women in their bunny suits drawing them along on wagons down the street of East Berlin. The great it's success amazing. of the Soviet Republic. People who love the Sinclair ZX series, those are the 80 and 81. If you like oh, yeah, those are, typewriters. Those chiclet keyboards. Oh, yeah, 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 if you, yeah, if you like the IBM, the classic IBM, I'm forgetting the model numbers. The uh, Model M, I think, is the best one. Selectrix. Like, it's, you know, it's a lot of models, but really the fun part about working on it with Marcin was that uh, he had great stories, and kind of my role as editor of this project was to make sure the stories came forward, right, is so that this, this is a story-led thing. And so you'll find out about people throwing typewriters to hide crimes into <laughs> rivers and, um, like, the type the keys that are illegal to type or used to be in Turkey because they could be used with Kurdish words. And oh, wow. it's, you know, it's, it's like typewriters and keyboards all tied up with geopolitical events, technology, <clears throat> technology advances, of course, but um, always comes back to, to people. And um, it's got a good chapter in there about sort of the role of women in the workplace and how keyboards sort of made a place for women and then also um, became a economic disparity thing. Um, I know this from the typesetting world is hot metal type uh, was really controlled by men. It was almost all men unions. And when phototype came around, they would hire women to do it because it was a different kind of job and they'd pay them half as much. So this book covers that kind of issue as well as sort of the more, uh, you know, fun things like people thinking when typewriters are invented, no one thought you could touch type. Like, of course, you would never have had any experience with that because no device existed that you would ever touch. There were no reason to do it. So it was seen as both impossible and undesirable. And I just think that's a fun, it's a fun chapter on touch typing. The uh, Kickstarter is over, but it's not too late to pre-order. But do it quickly because I, I know you're going to sell out. Okay. Finite yeah. number of copies yeah. that we can print. Yeah. And, and this is it, right? You're not going to do a second a press run it's just it's so much work we'll see. i mean it's it's plausible i don't think we'll do another edition this big yeah. because it's so big and so it's got a slip case and uh, the third oh, volume the stretch goal so it's got a third volume yeah. of extras it's just it's the index is going to be like 60 pages if we're wow. lucky it'll be that short so uh yeah this was this was uh reaching for the brass ring and uh it. First book he wrote. And most, it's really good. most successful technology Kickstarter of all time. Technology book. Yeah, technology book. Yeah. Yeah, Kickstarter of all time. Well we done. We are very happy. Thank you. So Thank you for your for support you. of it. Yeah. Glenn.fun with two N's. You'll find them all over the place and on many of our shows, but also in the comparable and the other six colors stuff. And hey, it's great to have all three of you. What a wonderful show. Really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks to all of you for joining us. We do Twitter on Sunday afternoons, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. That's. Uh, a little bit different now because we are in summertime, darn it. 
Now I have to do some math. That's 2100 UTC. The live stream is at twit.tv slash live. There's live audio and video. There's a chat room, IRC chat room at uh, irc.twit.tv. There's the Discord if you're in the club. Uh, after the fact, you can get copies of the show at our website, twit.tv. Uh, there's a YouTube channel dedicated to This Week in Tech. And, of course, you can subscribe in your favorite podcaster podcast application. Uh, and I hope you will. I thank you for your support. Thank you for being here. We've been doing this 18 years. Kind of hard to believe. Well Our anniversary is next month. We're going to have to have a little party. Um, but for now, after uh, 18 years, I'm still saying it. Another twit is in the can. Doing the twit. Doing the twit. All right. Doing the twit, baby. Doing the twit. All right. Doing the So we couldn't get Jason on until uh, the end, but I'm glad to get him on now. Jason Calacanis joins us. His hair, as far as I can tell, is not on fire. You put out no. the, you put out the flames. <laughs> yes, you were nice to see you, old I, friend. It's great to see you, buddy. Welcome yeah. back. I I see you were in Japan. Did a little Japan trip. Uh, you've been many times. I'm Love sure, Japan. Yeah? yeah, I was watching. Oh, so great. Your all in podcast, and you made me very hungry. Aww. You made me very yeah, hungry. I, yeah. I. Hey, wait a minute. I got to uh, ask you something. First of all, yes. Ask me everything. Yes. How is it all in? Catch up time. Gets a special yes. glyph on Twitter. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. You guys got know. some in there or something like that? <laughs> yeah, uh, my friend liked it, liked the product so much he bought the company. Yeah, as they say in the business. <laughs> and if you, and if your friend owns the like, company, you could get a plug for your podcast in there. Yeah, sure. Why not? It's that that actually what you're talking about is there's a little icon that goes next to your verified badge. Yeah. So if you had people like if I was uh, or if you had like all the Twit shows, you could put the Twit logo, and then you could affiliate all the Twit hosts. How much is that going to cost me? I think they're going to have some like enterprise thing. And it, I think they announced it's going to be like a couple of bucks per person per month. Oh, that's not bad. And I don't think it's going to be that bad. And I think it will have some features that make it really interesting to. It's actually a good um, idea. Yeah. Yeah. And so what will happen is if you actually click on the all in icon there yeah. uh, and David Sachs uh, architected a lot of this. Who is going to be the new CEO, right? He's going to be the guy running uh, Twitter. No, definitely not. Definitely no. Not. Uh, I don't that was think the scuttlebutt. Is, you know, there's a lot of palace intrigue uh, around Elon and Twitter, obviously, is like two of the most popular topics in the world. So, like, people were just running with things. But, you, you know, I've known Elon for 20 years. I, I, did he ever come up? I think he might have come up to. Oh, no, no. When I was. Uh, oh, when I came I up with him, my. I, when yeah, I, I came up with Alex, you said you were going to help me out. <laughs> get me I was up. trying to get him up get there. Me up on the list. Back in the day. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It worked out fine. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the uh, what's interesting about it is when you click it, it's going to let you put a tab next to your replies column. So you'll be able to do like interesting functionality with it. Like you would, it almost be like a list. So I, I think if you, had well, I see tab, by the way, all four, the all, all the other hosts are now exactly, recommended, exactly. which is awesome. Yes. And then yes. if and I then click if you, on it, I get the podcast yeah. itself. But That's then look cool. at the second tab on the all ins handle. It says affiliates. so you would be able to change that word but it shows the four of us there and so this would mean on the twit show or if you did it on you know your mac show whatever show security show you would be able to then see who the hosts were or maybe you put the guests there or regular guests so that's actually a great idea 
I'm kind of. I think it'll drive a honest, lot of followers. I'm kind of yeah. off Twitter these days, but still, I, you've always had an interesting relationship with yes. it, right? Because it's always, they, it's it was your name. Yeah. Yes. Uh, sure. A little challenging. Well, Chief Twit, right? Like yeah. you're the Chief Twit. By the OG way, twenty fifteen way, years ago. Can I say? Yeah. I figured it was you that told Elon, "You can't be the Chief Twit." Leo, Leo's already <laughs> the Chief Twit. Did you tell him that? Uh, I try. I did not talk about anything I talk about with Elon. Because okay. Okay. It becomes like literally. It's a thing. I understand. I, it's crazy, like Elon for clicks, because um, I did like I was playing with the um, Twitter Spaces, and you know we follow each other, whatever on Twitter. So he follows me. He jumps in my Spaces when I was testing my microphone. <laughs> and then there's 20 stories. Elon and Jason are doing fart noises with the sound panel. <laughs> At 2 a.m. <laughs> and I'm like, it's just, I can't even test my microphone. <laughs> without it's good it to have being... friends who stay up as late as you do. It, uh, it is. It so is. But the, anyway, reason, you know, I wanted to the, get, whole... the yes. reason I wanted to get you in here is Silicon Valley Bank. Um, of course. Yep. Do you have money in Silicon Valley Bank? Yeah. So let me give all the disclaimers. I have no money in Silicon Valley Bank. I have no money in First Republic. I have no short position. I don't own either of the stocks. Everything I've been talking about is strictly for three reasons. One, to let the public know what I'm seeing from the inside, because I am an angel investor. I'm on the board of a lot of companies with exposure. Number two, um, I want to influence the government to do the right thing and make sure that this constituency, startups and the people who work at them are heard. Uh, and number three, I, you know, I, I really want to see them take action because I, have a, I had a real concern that it would be three or four banks. And I can explain why, but I'll let you direct the interview. Well, the good so news have, is... I, I'm not talking my book. And, and <laughs> the good clear. news is, well, that's important. There's no conflict of yeah. interest. But the no good news is, I think you won. Because uh, an hour yes. and a half ago, uh, a Victory. joint statement from the Treasury, Federal Reserve, and FDIC said that all depositors, even those who had deposits bigger than the quarter of a million dollar insured, will have their access to all of their money tomorrow. Yes. That Fantastic. means the, gov the government, the government is going to back right it all. They're going to back it all. And it's important, I think, Leo, for the public to understand that this isn't a bailout of the Silicon Valley Bank equity holders, the shareholders, the board, yeah. or the So if you had stock or you were a board member or you were an owner, you're not getting made whole. That's not what this is about. No, this is the depositors. And, and most importantly, companies like Roku, half of their cash was at SVB. Correct. They can now make payroll tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, this is the reason I was in an, a, an actual panic last night is because I'll tell you the sequence of events that I saw up close and personal. Now, you know me as a journalist and a media creator, blogger, podcaster. But for the last decade, for people who don't know, um, I started angel investing in companies. I invested in 350 of them. Some of them got large. Some of them would receive large amounts of capital and put it in a place like Silicon Valley Bank, First Republic, et cetera. And these are great banks. They're, they're very customer focused, as you talked about on Twitter. And they've built a great relationship with the wineries and startups and venture firms. And what I saw was literally on Thursday, Leo, uh, people started spreading rumors. Hey, you got to get your money out of Silicon Valley Bank. People immediately start running for the exits. Now, actually, this this might have started earlier because Financial Times on the 28th of February had, yes. a, had a piece saying this strategy, this this bank it might be in trouble because they are long on all these treasuries. Yeah. And and the interest rates on them are single digit or less. And yep. as interest rates go up, as the Fed raises interest rates, those holdings are become less and less valuable. They're really problematic. If you have to sell them. Yeah, if yeah. you have to sell them, you have to sell them at a discount. And they did have to sell them because their cash position was so low, right? Correct. Their Correct. reserves weren't high enough. And when people saw enough. this, yeah. 
Correct. Now, if they had held them to maturity, these governments would be, be fine. Yeah. Right. So this but the is, maturity is in some like, cases 10 years. Correct. So what's happening here is people, I, I think, didn't understand what's happening saying, oh, we're going to bail out a bunch of Silicon Valley, you know, D-bags or whatever. Billionaires. Yeah. Yeah. Billionaires, yeah. right. That, that's not what's happening here. Um, and to be clear, people did see this happening. And I think Fred Wilson at Union Square Ventures or the team at Union Square Ventures let people know about it in maybe even December, January. So people had seen this coming, um, but you never think that everybody's going to pull their money out of a bank at once. Once people realized, hey, I, I have all my eggs in one basket and I'm not going to make payroll, whether it's Roku or I have companies that have 20 people, right? right. And have $2 million in the There's bank. There's tiny companies. I saw a tweet from a woman who says, hey, I drive a Honda Odyssey. I got 25 employees. I'm not going to make payroll because Correct. as a startup, and this makes sense, you're a startup, you get a big cash infusion in your A round, and but you don't spend it you, right away. You're going to, that's your runway. Yeah. So you're going to put it somewhere that you, it's mm -hmm. liquid so you can continue to make payroll. The problem is yes. it's more than $250,000. Right. And so what then happened to, so there were, people saw this and then some savvy people, in fact, the smartest people I've ever met in my career. And as you and I experience, we get to meet entrepreneurs, capitalists, media people who are some of the smartest people on the planet, just, you know, really smart people. And I'm watching the smartest people I know on the group chats, moving their money out of certain banks at a really fast pace. And I'm like, wow, I'm actually witnessing a bank run here because you would have a what, discussion. This was Thursday morning? This is Thursday. Yeah. yeah. Thursday. Yeah. Morning into afternoon. And I was literally in a board meeting Thursday afternoon and which had a Silicon Valley bank uh, customer. Yeah, some of your one. portfolio have, have big and big, big yeah. accounts there. Did yeah, you say, advise your maybe, portfolio to people to, uh, to do this, to withdraw? Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you exactly what happened. We're, we're like literally in a board meeting or I'm having other conversations and you'd have one person say, Silicon Valley bank's not going to go under. It's, it's top 20 bank. Um, and if it did, the government would backstop it. Then you had another group of people who were like, you know, like, well, maybe take half our money out. And then, you know, founders are asking me and I'm like, well, we could take the money out. And then if there isn't an issue, we could put it back in. Right. Right. Uh, and that was my advice. Uh, you know, now that I know makes that sense. Be better safe than sorry. Right. But that's what I thought. Cause I was like, I'm seeing, you know, and, and this is why I was tweeting all caps last night because I felt like people were ignoring something. Your hair was on fire. <laughs> my hair was on fire because I'll, and I'll tell you why, Leo. When you watch a whole uh, swath of companies not be able to get their cash out yeah, and then scary. everybody on the weekend pass the hat and say, how do we make payroll Monday? Yeah. And I was working with maybe six or seven companies that were in the process of doing this. And I'm giving literally $100,000, $200,000 short-term loans to these companies, arranging for them to be wired on Monday. It's very stressful. And um, so you were taking you know, money out of your pocket for these companies to keep them Yeah, solvent? exactly. Exactly. Yes. Wow. I would probably have put at least a million dollars wow. out, you know, and I'm a seed investor. And so I'm like, oh my God. Cause then what I saw happen was the second order effects, the third order yeah. effects. Then I see, oh, wait a second. This payment processor who does people's payroll right. just missed all the payrolls because Ripple. I won't say which company or anything like that. Ripple. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you can say it. Yeah. I don't want to. You know, well, no, they tweeted they the right about thing. it. This, the, yeah. Oh, he, he did. He tweeted about it. Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden, payrolls are being missed before Silicon Valley Bank. So as people officially... so people understand this, we use a we use a POE as well. We don't do our payroll. We have an independent third party. We transfer yeah. money when it's payday. We transfer a big chunk of money into their holding. They disperse yep. the checks. So Ripple had all this cash, and suddenly they can't access it. 
they can't pay mm-hmm. these payrolls. And a lot of small businesses, yes. as you pointed out, a lot of Main Street businesses, this mm-hmm. isn't just billionaires or VCs or startups. This no, is no, no. normal people who aren't going to get paid on money. A developer, a PR yeah. person. Yeah. It's, it's just rank and file. Yeah. And then what happened was, well, their whole system, the rails were built on Silicon Valley Bank's API. So now they got to rip that out and put another bank's API in. Obviously, that takes time. Um, then as people were moving their money out of one bank into another or many others, I saw another series of very savvy people say, you know what? This bank is too small and this bank is too small. I'm taking my money out of those other two. And then I'm putting it in one of the top four banks. So then it it all just crystallized for me on Saturday. I'm like, oh my God, there are three bank runs going on that I know about. People are moving money out of multiple banks, you know, the regional banks, the, you know, not in the top 10, let's say, or top four, really. And so when I saw that, I was like, okay, there is a bank run occurring. Do you blame Peter Thiel? He was the first to tell his founder funds portfolio companies, get out. If you, uh, yeah, this is a, like, I think this is called the prisoner's dilemma in, uh, you know, the sort of philosophy and logic. It it is prisoner's dilemma, isn't it? That's right. It's like either I rat you out or you rat me out. It's game theory. One of us is, it's game theory. We're, We're in game theory territory. So I don't blame anybody who had to take the money out to hit payroll. But we also know what happens if everybody takes their money to the bank because we've all seen It's a Wonderful Life 50 yeah, times. Yeah, we all know what a bank run is thanks to like How much Stewart. you need to get through the week. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here's your 17.50. So Parker Conrad, oh, who it's Rippling, by the way, who is the founder Rippling, of Rippling, yes. uh, was very – actually, I give him a lot of credit. He tweeted it. It was yes. very public. He explained what happened. And now, he, by the way, he and Rippling are very pleased – that the FDIC, the Federal Reserve, and the Treasury is going to back those deposits because those payrolls will get paid on Monday. That The money has been freed up. So that's huge. Um, and that's what we all wanted because yeah. here's what happens in a bank run. The people who are insiders see it happening. And you know who doesn't see it happening? This is what I found like was profoundly unfair. I was at a dinner party Saturday night with four couples and – Two of the couples were in venture capital and two weren't. And the two who didn't, like they had accounts at regional banks and they're like, can you explain to me what's going on? I saw a headline and I'm like, oh my God, you know, these small business owners and one of them was in construction, one of them's in fitness, one of them something else. They had bank accounts and they didn't even know this was happening. So they're going to be the suckers at the table who didn't take their money out. And then the insiders took all their money out. But let's be clear. No one should take any money out now. They don't need to at this point. No, it's over. And that's what we were lobbying. Uh, and there was many, I wasn't involved in the inside lobbying. I wasn't talking directly. I just said, you know what? I got a couple of hundred thousand followers on Twitter. Yeah, I'm going to be very public about this. And I said, it's on Monday. The logic, what's going to happen? Because I'm seeing it increase. The people at the dinner party were saying, hey, I'm going to the bank. And then I saw the pictures at um, yeah, First like Republic Bank lines. in Brentwood. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I live there in Brentwood, right by that one on San Vicente. The parking lot was always empty there. They they never had a line. It was like, it's a, those people online are going to be non-tech people. You know, they're civilians. They're not venture capitalists. These are normal folk. And um, in some cases, normal folk are under 250. In some cases, they're over it. It wouldn't be uncommon for a small business owner who owned, a, let's say, a medical practice in LA. And I, I believe those are the people who are probably online. I don't know that. But there were multiple people who went to that bank and confirmed that. And I think on Monday, if they hadn't done this, it would have been 20 banks this week. Because wow. I don't know if you saw the announcement, but another bank in New York yeah. went under. That's right. Signature and they took bank. Ownership. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't even aware of that one. I'm talking yeah. about other banks. That, that was close today. Like, yeah. 
So, so if two banks in 48 hours, Leo, yeah. what would have happened on Monday when they reopened? I think it would have been another 2008. So the government did absolutely the right thing here. It was certainly the risk. Do you know if they found a buyer? The auction was ended today. The back channel I'm hearing is that it's going to be announced in the next hour. Um, and uh, I don't know who it could possibly be, but there, the other back channel that's going on is we've tried to have, I don't, you remember all these hearings and stuff like that, Elizabeth Warren, yada, yep. yada. The top couple of banks are too powerful. Yep. So we need to have more banks. We don't want more so concentration. That four, that's right. Exactly. We don't want so JP Morgan to buy it because it just concentrates it. Correct. And so what's happening now is there's that as a factor. So they those big four probably do want to buy it and, and, sure. and get all those relationships in Silicon Valley. Sure. I think they want to probably get it to merge or be part of like okay. a First Republic or a smaller yeah. one. So they're probably trying to make one of those bids win. And that mechanically could be complicated. And I think there was another thing, which is we live in a very polarized time. Um I can tell you that as a polarizing figure, like some tweak. <laughs> it's all your fault. It's me. your fault. <laughs> It kind of is. I agree. Me or Trump. <laughs> One or the other, Leo. I'm not sure who to blame. You know what? It's funny because I, I love you, Jason. I understand. I love you too. I understand there were some people who did not want to be on with you, and I understand that, and I honored that. But sure, I, I love you, and I also know that you're, you're, a, you could be, you can, you can stir the pot. Yes. Um, but I think I in your heart, yeah. you are a good person, and uh, you're a deep. I know from a fact you're a deep person. So. Um, and I was really glad I could get you on. I got one more question for you. Yes, sure. Do you have money on the Oscars? Who's the best picture winner this year? <laughs> okay, this is an important question. Yes. I think there were two films that I would see again multiple times uh, that are extraordinary. The first is Top Gun, and the <laughs> second is Tar. These two I love Tar. That's I'm voting for Tar. And tar is my pick. Yeah. Yes. I know everything everywhere all at once will win. But I thought Tar was amazing. And Tar's I watched like it film. several times. Todd Field is an amazing director, but there it is a deep amazing. picture. And there's a lot going on that you don't get on the first view. No, uh, it's yeah, I've watched it twice, too. And yeah. it, it, it is an extraordinary film for our time. I think it's one of those films that like we'll appreciate in 10 years yeah. or five or 10 years. And you know everything all at once is good. The Well was good. Top Gun, I would see over and over again, is fantastic, very entertaining. Yeah, but really Tar fun. is an important Tar is an important film yeah. that, you know, you and I would talk for two hours after seeing Absolutely. it over a meal. Absolutely. Based on the nuance in that film, I highly recommend people see it and give it a shot. Maybe it's a two-sitting kind of thing because it is three hours, but the performance also is the best performance. I, oh, she's amazing. She should definitely win Unbelievable. Best Actor. All right, well, great to catch up, brother. Jason, I uh, thank you so much. Yes. Um, I'm glad I could get you on. I think it's important Absolutely. to hear all perspectives and it's really important to hear from somebody on the ground and you are definitely there in the yeah. middle of this and i'm glad you don't have to write those Ooh. big checks to your portfolio companies. <laughs> me too yeah that was that was gonna be rough yeah there's gonna be a lot of wires going out yeah i think it's hours. the right thing to do it costs the taxpayers nothing there's no loss here the bank in fact there was no fraud it was just a simple liquidity crisis and the government can solve yes. that without any danger to anybody else and solve a big yeah. big problem Thank the Lord. All right, Leo. I'll All in podcasts. That's Jason's. He's good. And this week in right, startups, thanks, you're still doing yeah, that. Yeah, still chugging along. And you got of the course. great Molly Wood working with you. God bless her. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, she's the, she's the best. Okay. Thanks, Jason. Talk See you, you soon, later. Bye-bye. Cheers now. Bye.